And most of my videos are at least an hour or more long. And I learned that it's a good idea maybe uh, so you don't lose people right away to do time markers in a video. So check out that description box underneath the video here on YouTube and look to see what the time markers are. You may not want to sit through certain parts of the video so you can go immediately to a time marker that is telling you what's there at that point in the video. And that may speed up the process for you if you don't want to sit for an hour through everything. If you want to just get to the point, get those time markers and go right to the parts of the video you want to actually see and see them quickly. Uh, and I found that's worked very effectively uh, for a lot of my viewers over this last couple of years we've been doing this. And I wish I would have known that years ago. All right, now let's just take a, a clear example of what I'm talking about with these time markers. Okay, a video we did called The Christian Worldview According to the Bible Alone, which is utterly rejected by most of the world. Here we see the time markers which are located not only in the description text, right underneath the, the video, but then also down in the comment section. I always put the time marker information down in the comment section as well. Usually I pin that comment at the top so people can see where they can click to certain parts of the video and go directly to those topics immediately. Okay, now let's take a look at this one now, just as an example. Here we see at the 1314 mark, if you want to just jump there to see what that talks about, it says Rob begins his presentation by sharing comments from Abraham Kuyper. You have a link there about the distinction between those who have been regenerated and those who are not. You click on that marker with your, your mouse, then you'll go right to this segment of that video. He begins by saying human beings would find differences between themselves and perhaps differences would be ultimately lead perhaps to some kind of advancement in the unity of truth. Okay, you just saw that immediately when you click on the time marker. Now let's take another example at the 1921 mark about John 3, 3 through 4. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You click on that and you go immediately to this clip. Jesus answered in John chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, to the question, how can one be born again in that pericope of the scripture by saying this? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, another example. Time marker 2841. The Great Divide. Natural man versus spiritual man. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So I call it the Great divide. It's the difference between what the Bible calls the natural man and what the Bible calls the spiritual man. Listen to these words by the Apostle Paul. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in his letter to the Corinthians, now we have received not the spirit of the world, 
but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Now listen to this. This is important. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Okay, one more example to show you how this all works. 4113 in the time marker. If you click on this, the following clip is what you'll immediately see. And he says, now the deeds of the flesh, these natural impulses are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, worshiping a false god or anything you put in the place of the one true God, sorcery, messing around with satanic kinds of movies, shows, board games, videos, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and then he throws in, and things like these. Okay? He gives a laundry list of the kinds of things that most Christians would read and say, Well, I'm not I'm not there. Women. Jealousy, strife, outbursts of anger. Factions, sensuality, it doesn't sound like anybody can go to heaven. I mean, everybody's kind of done this or been a part of this. That's not the apostle's point. His point is, I forewarn you just as I have forewarn you that those who practice such things, and what he means by practice such things is that there is no evident repentance, there's no evident conviction, there's no evident change in their behavior. They are going along to get along. They haven't stood against it in their own hearts, let alone the culture. And he says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here you have a clear example of how the time markers can not only give you a summary of what's contained in the entire video itself without you actually having to spend the time to watch the entire video. It'll also hone you in on the spots you are most interested in hearing about during the time you have available. So check out those time markers before you begin a video, which may save you a lot of time and also give you a good idea what the whole video is about. With that... We'll get into our programming. Thank you. Greetings and welcome once again to our program. I'm Larry Wessels, your host, 
for Christian Answers Presents. Well, today we're going to be looking at a topic we covered, I would say, somewhere around 25 years ago when we did a two-part series on something called the International Church of Christ, also known as the Boston Movement, or sometimes called the Crossroads Movement. Uh, Bob Ross of Pilgrim Publications and myself uh, did an analysis of that that particular group, and I'm gonna just I'm gonna let you see for a moment uh, some short clips from that. This is uh, the moniker that they want to be known by today, not as Boston Church of Christ, not as Boston Movement, and certainly not as Crossroadsism. They want to be known as International Churches of Christ. But uh, in effect, I think all they're doing here is trying to get away from the cultic image that they are uh, inheriting from what's been going on the last uh, 15, 16 years of their existence. And this new name will tend to push some of that in the background. You see, the thing about restorationists is they don't want, ever, they don't want to ever look back. Mm. They don't want their history uh, to come up and stare them in the face. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, why was Kip McKean not rebaptized? Mm-hmm. Al Baird was rebaptized. Others were rebaptized. Uh, what makes Kip McKean's baptism scriptural back here when he was baptized at Crossroads? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what your normal Camelite doesn't want to talk about. He doesn't want to talk about why did Alexander Campbell, after he discovered the gospel, not get rebaptized? Well, he didn't. And Stone didn't, and Scott didn't, and uh, so on down the way. The International Church of Christ, alias the Boston Movement, by Bob L. Ross. The mainline Church of Christ developed from an original Reformation unity effort inaugurated by Thomas Campbell in 1809. The original group formed the Christian Association of Washington, Pennsylvania and at first sought communion with the same Presbyterian Church Synod which had earlier censured Thomas Campbell for his diversions. After being spurned by the Presbyterians, the Christian Association decided to assume the character of an independent church, and this was accomplished on May 4, 1811, at Brush Run. A short time later, Under the leadership of Alexander Campbell, the son of Thomas, the majority of the small church arranged for immersion in water June 12, 1812, and the act was performed for seven members by a Baptist minister, Matthias Luce, in Buffalo Creek. Thus, the order of the beginning of the church was, first, they formed the church organization, second, they were immersed. As for their gospel, this was to come seven years later. The theory was first presented in 1823 by Alexander Campbell in a debate with W.L. McCalla, but the practice did not arrive until 1827, when Walter Scott, a disciple of the Campbells, immersed Mr. William Amond on November 18th. This was supposedly the restoration of the ancient gospel of baptism for, in order to obtain, the remission of sins. Amon later joined the Mormons.
All the foregoing historical details are from the memoirs of Alexander Campbell and are also related in Campbellism, its history and heresies, by Bob L. Ross, published by Pilgrim Publications, Box 66, Pasadena, Texas, 77501. This movement grew through the means of proselytizing Baptists, Presbyterians, and others, and its leaders began calling it the Restoration Movement. They claimed they were going back to the Bible, to the ancient order of things, restoring the New Testament church. Although it spoke of unity, it was never very strongly unified. Some of the members left to join the Mormon movement of Joseph Smith and took the baptismal remission of sins heresy with them. Another splinter followed after John Thomas and called itself the Christadelphians, and they also taught the baptismal remission theory, adding the necessity of understanding the purpose of baptism for the act to be scriptural. Alexander Campbell, who did not hold to the baptismal remission theory when he immersed in 1812, wrote articles against the view of John Thomas and published them in his Millennial Harbinger magazine in 1835 and afterwards. Campbell himself claimed a conversion experience before he ever came to America, long before his immersion. Memoirs, Volume 1, pages 48 and 49, Volume 2, pages 111 and 112. He had no use for the Thomas theory. The movement divided in an even more significant development in the mid-1800s over two issues, the Missionary Society and Instrumental Music. As a result of the division over these issues, the Church of Christ, as known in the 1900s, took its form and substance primarily molded by David Lipscomb and his associates through the Gospel Advocate magazine and publishing house. There was a relatively solid unity in the anti-instrumental church until the mid-1900s, when the institutional issue became a divisive factor. Anti-institutionalism involved opposition by many to the use of church monies for the support of orphan homes and other man-made organizations. Magazines were started to oppose institutionalism, and several debates served to magnify the differences. The result was two churches of Christ, the gospel advocate variety, pro-institutional, and the gospel guardian variety, antis. Crossroadsism. In the 1970s, a new and aggressive evangelism began to assert itself under the leadership of Chuck Lucas at the Crossroads Church of Christ in Gainesville, Florida. There was a special emphasis towards the student body of the University of Florida. This new approach attached more importance to pre-baptismal and post-baptismal discipleship to accomplish its purpose. There was more regimentation of both the leadership and those being discipled. Methodology, technique, procedure, etc. 
became the utmost importance, necessitating seminars and manual-type instruction. Crossroadsism eventually collapsed along with the ministry of Lucas, but not before it was absorbed and transplanted to Boston, Massachusetts by Kip McKean and his associates in 1979. They have effectively used the basics of crossroadsism and added a few touches of their own, creating the current International Church of Christ, or as it is commonly called, the Boston Movement. McKean is committed to the Campbellite restoration of the church ideology, plus he has added a reconstruction ideology. The latter is the term for proselytizing churches of Christ already existing, covering rebaptisms of those who are deemed to need such baptism. He also has developed a pyramid structure of church government, whereby the hierarchy at the top has control over the whole movement. This is on the order of Romanism and other cultic organizations, which are dominated by one or more primary leaders. This system engenders loyalty and mind control on the lower stratas of the pyramid. But these matters have to do with organizational format, not the soteriology, doctrine of salvation, of the movement. Both crossroadsism and Bostonism are basically the Campbellism or Church of Christism of former times, teaching the baptismal remission of sins theory. The methodology and regimentation are more innovative, but the doctrine on baptismal remission and conditional salvation thereafter are the same. From our perspective, their doctrine is salvation by works. Okay, you just saw Bob Ross and myself from like 25 or 30 years ago talking about the International Church of Christ, and now here's a little history about them. The International Church of Christ, ICC, is a break-off of the Church of Christ Restoration Movement of the Campbells in the early 1800s. The ICC is Christian in its basic theology, but has some aberrant practices. The ICC was influenced by the discipling movement in the 1950s, its roots can be traced back to 1967 to the Crossroads Church of Christ in Gainesville, Florida. The Crossroads Church had a program on discipling which became known as the Crossroads Movement. It is out of this Crossroads connection that the present leader of the ICC, Kip McKean, received his start. Now, I have heard some reports at the time from this material that he's since resigned. Uh, his post there, but uh, we won't worry about that right now. We're talking history here, so that doesn't change. He and Roger Lamb were fired from the Houston, Texas Church of Christ. Kip McKean when then found a church in Boston, Massachusetts, was asked to come on board and began what has become to be known as the Boston Movement. The Boston Church grew by leaps and bounds due to its heavy discipling program. Soon other churches were being planted in the United States and then in England. The ICC 
did not become known as the International Church of Christ until 1993, and its headquarters moved to Los Angeles, California. The ICC considers Christian denominations to be sinful. They will cite biblical passages that speak of the apostles establishing one church per city and claim that there should only be one church in each city. Of course, the one church should be the ICC church. As of the year 2001, the ICC claims to have over 400 churches with a membership of 130,000 worldwide in over 150 countries. The International Church of Christ considers itself to be, quote, a family of Christian churches whose members are committed to living their lives in accordance with the teachings of Jesus Christ as found in the Bible, end quote. This commitment to biblical living includes a very strong emphasis on discipling. In fact, it is this overly strong emphasis on discipling that has drawn as much criticism from outside the church as inside from those who were once members. The ICC is orthodox, affirms the Trinity, salvation by grace, Jesus' virgin birth, and physical resurrection, his deity, the personhood of the Holy Spirit, heaven and hell, and much more. But it deviates from orthodoxy and the gospel, remember that, and the gospel, in both its requirement of water baptism as a necessary element for salvation and its heavy requirement for discipleship. Okay, there you have a little history of where this International Church of Christ came from. And joining me in this broadcast is a very special guest and my own pastor at my church that I've been a member of, Spring Fellowship, for 41 years now at the time of this recording. You know, who knows who's going to be watching this video 20 years from now. So, <laughs> so i got to be careful on times and dates. I try not to name a president and stuff like that. But anyway, because uh, you never know on the Internet when something will be seen. But I want to turn to my very special guest and someone I know very well, Pastor Greg Van Court. Pastor, great to have you here with us. Uh, it's wonderful once again to do another broadcast with you. Uh, in fact, uh, it's interesting about our YouTube channel that, uh, and according to YouTube Analytics, viewer, our, our, the country that watches the most of our videos anywhere in the world is Indonesia. And our number one city in the world that watches most of our videos, usually on their cell phones, is Jaktara in Indonesia, uh, which to me is fascinating. It's like, you know, you would think it'd be the United States, right? Because all we're doing is speaking English all the time. We're not translating into other languages or something like this. But uh, anyway, so now people in Indonesia get to know all about you, you see? <laughs> so, <laughs> what's interesting also is number, the United States is number two, but the third most, the third country that watches the most of our videos is Turkey. And the, the, the city that watches the most of our videos behind Jaktara is Istanbul. You know that? So you're about to be introduced to people in Istanbul, Jaktara, Indonesia, and Turkey are going to become familiar with you. So tell us all about yourself, theological background, the whole bit. Go ahead, brother. 
Well, uh, good to see you, Larry. I always enjoy being on your uh, show, brother. And uh, I can start uh, introducing myself by saying that the Lord radically converted me to faith in Jesus uh, when I was 16 years old. And uh, I uh, was then called later in life into ministry. I went to Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, where I earned my uh, Master of Divinity degree, my Master of Theology degree, I started the PhD program, got all the way up to uh, all but uh, the dissertation when um, our pastor, founding pastor of the church that you and I both attend, Jackson Boyette and his wife, Barbara, were killed by a drunk driver. Uh, and then uh, several months after that uh, tragedy was called to fill his shoes. And I've been uh, the uh, pastor of Spring Fellowship uh, ever since. I'm in my 11th year of ministry. And uh, right here in Austin, Texas, uh, just a, a, a joyful uh, ministry uh, that God has given me at my local church. And interestingly, I have firsthand experience of uh, this well, group well, that we're making the video you, about today. Yeah. Before you get into that, what's your website for your church? And you also have an outreach for the church at Sermon Audio. So tell us a little bit about that and then get into what you were just saying before I interrupted. Absolutely. So uh, you can find uh, the website for uh, my local church, Spring Fellowship, at dsf.org on the internet. And there you'll find lots of good information about what we believe, the history of our church, uh, many resources and videos, uh, and also links to our sermon audio page. So all of our sermons and messages that we have uh, uh, put out there throughout uh, decades, going back to our founding pastor, are on uh, Sermon Audio, including Sunday school classes that are accessible for uh, all over the world. And so you can go to Sermon Audio, or you can get a link to Sermon Audio from our website at dsf.org. I'd just like to put in a plug that one reason I've been a member of that particular church for 41 years straight is the fact that it gets into the deep things of God, verse by verse, weekly exposition. That way you don't leave anything out. Yeah, you may have an unpopular verse, but it's there that week, and you're going to have to preach it, brother. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you don't leave any of the word. Yeah, you preach the, this church preaches the whole counsel of God, as the Apostle Peter, I mean, the Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 20, I think around verse 28 or so. So that's one, and it took me like six or seven months after I got saved to find that church, because I was going and visiting all kinds of churches but nah, this is wrong, and that nah, you know that it wasn't as deep. And if it, it, these preachers are given ten-minute sermons and they're namby-pamby, and it's more just little examples and illustrations than anything from the Word of God, I wrote them off. You know, I want I want to know what the Word of God says, and that's what a pastor is supposed to be doing. He's supposed to feed the sheep, and what do you feed the sheep with? The Word of God, God, right? Not a bunch of sermon illustrations. Uh, so, so anyway, you've done a great job, brother. Uh, and that's another reason you're here on my show. I think highly of you. And and you were about to say before I interrupted you that there's a reason you're on this particular show about the International Church of Christ. So why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I do have firsthand experience uh, with this group that goes uh, back many, many years. So as I said, I was converted uh, when I was 16. When I was 18, back when I was a freshman in college, I found myself uh, in a strange new city without any Christian friends. Um, so it was a, 
a profoundly uh, lonely time in uh, my my life, my Christian life. My my roommate that I had was an unbeliever who just really enthusiastically rejected the gospel. Uh, my local church where I worshipped on Sundays didn't have anyone in my age group or in my stage of life, and so it was truly one of the loneliest times of my life where I was just really aching for a Christian friend. Uh, I know that many Christians in college experience uh, that that kind of loneliness, uh, but everyone that I met at college was worldly, uh, hostile to the gospel. There were unbelievers just everywhere. And then one day, while I was walking across my college campus, I was approached by a fellow student who uh, told me about a Bible study group, and he invited me to come along. And so here I was, I was just aching for uh, a Christian group of peers to be involved with. And so I saw this uh, providential meeting as God's answer to all of my prayers. And so I, I went to the meeting and uh, I made all of these new friends who were passionate about following Jesus and, and so encouraging. Uh, to to me, to my faith. And so I started going to services with my new friends on Sundays and on Wednesdays. And we go to these regular uh, called Bible talks uh, and Bible studies and devotional nights uh, together. And then I was assigned a discipler who would disciple me. And we met for my first discipleship meeting in one of the uh, campus library study rooms where it was just me and uh, two young men from the group. And just uh, two of those discipleship meetings in was when I began to realize something was just not quite right here with this group. They so were you're trying. Saying, right? They yeah. did this once a week, right? Once yes. a week? Yes. And so you're talking two weeks in. Two you're weeks already in. having red, red flags are starting to fly, right? That's okay, right. Ahead. That's right. Something just didn't, didn't, didn't feel right because they were... They were trying to convince me that I had never truly been saved. And mm -hmm. I was radically saved from out of uh, drug addiction and uh, mm -hmm. illegal activities and immorality. Uh, and they were trying to tell me that I was not truly a disciple of Jesus because of uh, the shortcomings in my life, uh, bad fruit, uh, the greatest of which in their mind was that I was not regularly of uh, bringing in others into their church. And they began uh, encouraging me then to repent and to be baptized in their church. And so I was very troubled, very confused, uh, because they really seemed so convincing. Uh, that, remember, I'm only a two-year-old Christian at this point, and they had so many scriptures to back up what they were saying, seemingly. And so uh, one night in desperation, I picked up my phone and I uh, called up my old mentor, uh, the man who had first shared the gospel with me around the time when I was saved in uh, high school. He had uh, he'd taken me through Romans, which had led to my conversion. And so I called him up and uh, I described all that uh, was going on and just the confusion and, and the pressure uh, that I was feeling. And uh, I'll never forget uh, what, what he told me. Um, he said, go get your Bible and look with me at Galatians chapter five. And, uh, and he read those, those words from verse one, that it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand mm -hmm. firm, therefore, and do not submit again 
to a yoke of slavery. And, and he warned me and he said, whoever this church is, he'd never heard of them. He said, they're not true. Uh, they're trying to get you to submit again to a yoke of slavery. And, and we looked at uh, Galatians chapter two, where Paul says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And so he just brought me right back to really the great truth of the gospel that I'd embraced uh, when I read uh, Romans two years mm -hmm. before and had become uh, a believer. I mean, back then I was uh, a drug dealer, a drug addict. Uh, I was very, very worldly and sinful. I was only reading through Romans because this man uh, was my Bible teacher and he'd given me a, an assignment to write a book report on Romans. Uh, I was actually uh, smoking marijuana as I was reading Romans, inhaling that narcotic into my lungs when the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to the truth of what I was reading. And I realized that I was uh, a sinner who had offended a holy God and that my only hope, uh, there's this uh, part in Romans 7 that says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And that's what I wanted more than anything was deliverance. The answer yeah. was, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I believed mm -hmm. uh, into him alone, no works, just faith in Jesus and was radically converted. And so he brought me back to mm -hmm. that truth, uh, back to that, to the true gospel. And mm -hmm. as it turns out that this group uh, on campus who had successfully you know, seduced and sucked me in was this dangerous cult called the International Church of Christ, which at the time, this was 1987, they were known as the Boston Church of Christ, or uh, sometimes they'd be referred to as Church of Christ Boston. Uh, mm -hmm. You can read all the horror stories online about their predatory and destructive uh, practices, but they're very, very uh, controlling. They're very good at what they do uh, in, in sucking in uh, people, usually from a church background who are looking for some kind of Christian fellowship on campus. Uh, and the most remarkable thing to me is, uh, you know, that was 35 years ago. I wasn't uh, in uh, uh, that cult, uh, but for a few weeks when when God uh, redeemed me out of it. Uh, but later on in life, as a pastor here in Austin, we received a church member who uh, came uh, to Spring Fellowship, who had been sucked in by the same cult and on the same exact college campus where they had grabbed me. It's uh, wow. it's out of California, uh, the mm -hmm. uh, California State University in Hayward, Bay Area of uh, Northern California. And uh, he had uh, just gotten uh, sucked in uh, much deeper than I. So I'm, I'm really glad we're going to get to hear uh, his story of being in bondage uh, to that legalism and then being uh, set free. But just, yeah, we're going to uh, an amazing coincidence that God brought us together. Yeah, we're going to edit edit him in. That's uh, Naveen Swami. He'll, we've got him planned for later. His work schedule won't allow him to do this video with us. Yes. So we're going we're gonna to put his clip in at a convenient place while we're editing this video for YouTube. And uh, so everyone will know what you're talking about. Well, Naveen, this is our little insert 
edit for the main video with Pastor Greg on the International Church of Christ. We've already introduced this to the, the YouTube crowd. And so I wanted to talk to you, as you already know, about your experience being a member of the International Church of Christ. Now, what we did with Pastor Gray, we went into detail on all the theological distinctions of that cult and what they believe and all that stuff. And we spent, I guess that video was two hours long. But uh, so we've already covered a lot of that. But uh, what we were really wanting to get from you is your own personal testimony of because you were in it for a lot longer than Pastor Greg was. I think Pastor Greg, Pastor Greg was in it for about two weeks. <laughs> How long were you involved in the International Church of Christ? It was about three and a half years total. Okay, that's a long, that's much longer than two weeks. So yeah. I, I wasn't sure when I did the video with Pastor Greg how long he'd been in it. But then I'm, I've gone after two weeks, he was out. Oh, holy mackerel, you know, that, that I thought it would have been longer than that. But uh, anyway, we, we had a great show. The Lord was with us. So so you will give us, what we were missing with Pastor Gray, a much more detailed account of what it was like. And then also tell us what your Christian experience was and what, what led you, what were you doing? Were you already a born-again Christian before you got into this religion and just got deceived by it? Or were you on a, a college campus when you met these people, or what was what was your spiritual condition when you ran into these people? Where did you run into these people, and and then what happened after that? So, go ahead. So it's a bit complex. Um, I got saved when I was in college. I was in my bedroom in my parents' house, and I read this website called GotQuestions.org. It was oh yeah, I know things. that. It was a yeah, whole yeah, bunch yeah, of yeah. things, really. Um, yeah, we're leading up to it. Um, there was something that had that had started off a a desire for for the Lord or a desire to believe in a higher power. And I did very brief research about other religions like Islam and Buddhism, and then I came to Christianity. And first thing I remember, this is the first scripture that I ever heard. I saw this YouTube video. I don't know what the subject was about, but all I remember was at the end. Uh, the man was a Christian, and he said something like, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You know, I end every show I do with that verse. That's John 14, 6. Every, most all my 800 videos, I'm ending, I'm ending the show with that verse. So anyway, that's interesting. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me, said Jesus. So continue, yeah. please. And... Something just convinced me. I think it was either it was shortly after that. I, I just developed a conviction that Jesus Christ was the true God. The only way I can describe it is that God was just opening my eyes. And I had no intention of being a Christian whatsoever. I didn't want to be any kind of right. religious person. I grew up as, as secular as it gets. My parents were not really any religion. They were supposedly Hindu, but they never did any of the uh, things that you're supposed to do. They just prayed to mm -hmm. idols once in a while. Right. I mean, like literal ceramic idols. It's actually what they called them, translated into English. Yes. And so they burn incense and stuff like that. But I, I didn't believe in any of that. And I just mm -hmm. I just saw I just saw no point to it. And all it would do was just put restrictions on me 
and take away my fun. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and I grew up in a pretty, I guess you could say, pretty left-leaning secular part of the country. That's the San Francisco Bay Area near Silicon wow. Valley. That's where you I live. You ain't kidding. You ain't kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but the majority of my life, that's where I live. So wow. there weren't any Christians around me even at right. all that I know of. Right. I mean, truly Bible-believing Christians. My dad right. knew friends who were like Catholics, or I guess they were professing Christians, but I... I, I don't believe they really lived according to the Bible. They just kind of mm. lived however they wanted. They were most they were just secular for the right. most part, or they were just Hindus. So how I got saved, I, I think it is truly a miracle. It, it still puzzles me even today. All I can say is that uh, the Lord condescended to me, came down to me when I was at my worst. I was in the yeah. pit, and he, you know, he he chose me before before the yeah. foundation yeah. of the world. You know, that is, is incredible just because I've, I heard Pastor Greg's testimony a while ago for the same video, and the viewers have probably already, I've already seen it by the time they see our insert here. But he mentioned that the Lord saved him while he was reading the Bible. He's reading Romans, and he was smoking some pot, marijuana. <laughs> he got saved right in the middle of uh, smoking pot, and he got born again right there where he was. So... Uh, and here you are, just kind of, you know, you weren't really looking for it. You just, it just happened to you. You didn't institute it. It just happened to you. And the same thing in my case, uh, May 16th, 1981. I already went into all of that in the other part of the video, but uh, I wasn't looking for it. It just happened to me. Uh, it was supernatural. So, yeah, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying. So go ahead. Yeah. And I had never been to church in my life. I didn't go to church for the first time until I was 23 years old. I, yeah, that's around the time that I got saved. It was early 2015, late 20, late 2014. So I've been a believer for about eight years. And the first church that I ever went to was the International Church of Christ. And, and so, how did you run into them? Where did you meet them to join that church? I met them when I was in college. There was one of their members who was in a class that I was taking and I was just looking to make friends. I was really looking for people to party with and get drunk and chase girls and to do all the stuff that, you know, normal college guys are supposed to be doing because I just wanted to have some fun. And this guy stood out to me. He seemed a little different. I think um, he was very friendly. Um, one day we were walking back to the bus stop from class and he started telling me about you know, how he believed in God and stuff like that. And I was like, he's like a religious guy and he believed in the Bible. And I was like, okay, I had no problem with that because I did believe in a God. Technically, I wasn't an atheist by that point. But, and so I thought, you know, well, maybe Christians are nice people, but I just thought, you know, they don't really have any fun. They're very, um, very prudish, buttoned down people. They just don't really enjoy life. But what I my motive was really just to be his friend and to maybe yeah. have someone to hang out with. So I guess we kept talking a little more. And next thing I remember, he invited me to church or. And then and then I said, OK, sure, why not? Because Christianity seemed interesting because I thought Christianity is the mainstream religion of the United States. And I kind of agreed with maybe certain conservative biblical values. And I thought Jesus was all right, but I didn't want to really live for him. So I went to church for the first time and 
was a it was inside this massive building. It was inside a Scottish Rite Hall in Oakland, oh, California. Really? Yeah. Wow. And huh. there were hundreds of people there. They were all um, they were singing some song. They were all singing and praising God. I was really overwhelmed. I was kind of kind of scared. I was like, you know, what did I get myself into? What kind of place <laughs> is this? But I went inside anyway, and I sat in the back, and people were really friendly, really welcoming. They, you know, older people came up and shook my hand, and the the guy who I had met. I saw him when he was there and he introduced me to some other people. And these are the people who would later become my friends in the International mm -hmm. Church of Christ. And he said, hey, these are these are good people to know. Mm -hmm. So you, that's how you got involved. And so, uh, you know, it's funny you talk about just having fun and all that. I graduated from the University of Texas. I kind of mentioned this earlier with Pastor. But that's all. That, I didn't even get saved till after I got out of college. So I stayed as the... Everything you described yourself at, I was like you <laughs> when you're in college before you went with these people. So now you're there. That's your first experience. And then uh, what happened next? It drew you in for three and a half years. What happened next? So they started a, like, well, they, they would say it was a hangout. And so they, they invited me um, to, like, get some, get some lunch with them or get some coffee with them on campus and wanted to talk to me. And I really appreciated this because I was very, I was alone at the time, didn't really have much in the way of friends. So they seemed really friendly to me and they wanted to, they wanted to take me in. So I went to this hangout, they would like ask questions about me and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And then I think the next thing was one of them invited me to his apartment. He was the friend that I had met in the class. Yes. And when I was at his apartment, he was living with two or three other guys as roommates. And then mm -hmm. I think that we started talking about the Bible and then he would show me different scriptures from the Bible. One of the first scriptures he showed me was in the book of James where it says like um, slow to speak and slow to wrath is what people should be or mm -hmm. something like that. I don't remember it off the top of my head. And then he showed me the scripture in second Timothy, which says that the word that the Bible is the entire Bible is God breathed. It's um, necessary for teaching and correction and thoroughly equips the servant for every good work. So he's establishing the authority of the Bible in that case. And I thought, well, okay. I mean, it makes sense. I guess I was looking for a better life philosophy that would, that would really get me what I wanted. I, I still was not saved at this time, mm -hmm. but I was on the very right. cusp of getting saved. Right, right. And That's then, why you even took an interest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so continue. After that, they invited me to another Bible study. This was at the uh, minister of the church, and it was at his house. And so the friend that I met and some other people were there were also invited to participate in the study. And they started going through with me about all their principles and core doctrines of the International Church of Christ. And they used different scriptures to justify them. So after they established the authority of the Bible, they talk about like Jesus being God, the resurrection. Um, they would talk about, they have different titles for these studies and they have certain steps you're supposed to follow. I think the very first study was called light and darkness. So they would say something like there's only two categories of people in the world, people who are in darkness and people who are in light and people who are in light are Christians who know the Lord and who do as well. 
and people who are in darkness are non-believers who are unsaved, and these are the people who are going to end up going to hell. So, and they get that title from, I think, I think it's like First John 5, where it says, you know, or somewhere in the book of John, where it says, you know, in God, there is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Right. And also there are other scriptures saying that, you know, men naturally love the darkness. They drink up iniquity like water. They hate the light. And first John five, where it says, um, walk in the light in him. There's no darkness. Um, God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So there seemed like their idea of being in the light though, was telling was telling them absolutely everything about my backstory, my life history. They would ask me these deep questions about who I was and what I believed and they get to know me very well. And these questions would grow more and more personal over time. And they're they asked me about very private things and they grew very intrusive. So now when you were my- when you're talking about over time, from the time you first met this other guy and you're talking about light and all that. How much time are we talking about? Had you we meet meeting them every week, or when was the point? How long did it take to go from all the stuff you're telling right now to where you actually joined the church? Did it take a while, or what? What was going on there? It took probably about four months from the first study until I joined the church by being baptized. Okay. Ah, I got you. So after four months of all this indoctrination you're talking about, you were finally convinced that they had what you were looking for and convinced you to go ahead and get baptized so you could get saved. Didn't yes. Because, okay, so obviously you wanted to get saved, so you got to get water baptized. And the only place to go is to go to that church in that city. <laughs> and uh, so you did so. So uh, what was the, when you finally made the decision to join the church, you were at that point, obviously, completely convinced of everything they had told you during that four-month period and just went along with it. So obviously that goes without saying. But then you then stayed there for another almost three years, right? And uh, something obviously happened that started to give you red flags in your mind or something to where you're starting to have doubts about this religion you joined in. So start taking us through that journey, if you don't mind. Sure. So um, at first I had a great time, you know, I was getting to meet lots of new people, getting to know my new friends there. But there were certain, there were certain things that um, really stood out to me is that that just didn't sit right with me. I didn't know why, but it just didn't feel right. And I noticed these things, but I, I just tried to suppress it because, you know, I didn't, I just thought, well, as far as I'm concerned, this church is the kingdom of God. So if I leave and go to another church, I don't have anywhere else to go. So leaving okay. this church would be like leaving my faith. Okay. So they indoctrinated that belief in you. And that was one of the things you started having a worry about. Well, if I leave this church, I'm going to lose my salvation. So you had already been convinced of that, huh? At that time, but that's the that's what started to lead to doubts. That point, or was it other things also? Yes, uh, that was the first thing because um, 
I saw the fervor that these people had for the church and how they really warned other people against, you know, possibly going to other churches. And they didn't say that outright. You know, our church is the only church, but it was heavily implied from their doctrine. And that, that did not sit well with me. That caused me to have doubts because I knew that, and I got saved during the course of studies. And I knew at that point, Christianity had been around for thousands of years. I mean, right. you're, you're really telling me there's no other true church out there that follows the Bible out of like the hundreds or thousands of churches mm-hmm. that are out there. Well, that's a good logical uh, uh, notice of yours to start figuring that out. Because once a, some church that hadn't been around that long starts making claim like they're the only church and you got to be in this church to be saved, you start wondering about the history going back to the beginning uh, when the church first started, like you just mentioned. In fact, that maybe that's a good point to bring up something I was going to bring up during our, my interview with you. Uh, I mentioned this newsletter when I was with Pastor Greg, but I didn't mention the part in this newsletter that our ministry published on the Restoration Church of Christ Campbellism uh, cult. Uh, you know, our lead article there is by Bob L. Ross. He's been a prolific writer and historian on the Church of Christ, written a lot of books about it. He was my guest for decades when we were into public access TV back in the, the early 90s and all the way into the, you know, year, the, the 20th, 21st century. So he passed away a few years ago, but uh, he was with me for years on our show. And we did over 100, I think we got over 100 videos on YouTube right now on straight up cannibalism. Church of Christ, you know, that type of stuff. Got that many. And then we even did two videos back then. That was probably about 25 years ago now on the International Church of Christ. I think I emailed this to you uh, along with Pastor a while back. Uh, but uh, so we were already familiar with it. But then to have two, two people like Pastor Greg and yourself, and you particularly, because you were in it for years. And, and, uh, and like I told Pastor Greg, uh, a lot of ex-members and actual members like to watch videos of someone that's actually in their religion or who is already out of their religion, a former, you know, and that, that gets a lot of views because people in those religions, you know, I, I, they want to see what you have to say. They want to find out what did this former member say about our church or whatever. And I realized that doing this video with you and Pastor Greg would be far stronger than what we did 25 years ago with two people that had never been in it and hadn't experienced it, of course. But Bob was an expert on cannibalism and the Church of Christ, but uh, that's not the same as having been in it and been a former member and all that stuff. So that makes you a powerful witness because I've done videos on YouTube with a lot of other former members of different religions and their videos always seem to get the most views. <laughs> if they were a former member, people want to see what that former member has to say because they're interested. Either the, the current members or the former members will watch those kind of videos. So anyway, you mentioned the history, and that was a good point to notice. I mean, like, we're it here in the 21st century, and where was the church these last 2,000 years and stuff like that? Well, basically because you're in a, a restoration movement type church, which comes out of the Church of Christ. And I'm going to put this up on a screen so everybody can see what it says uh, on the front page of our newsletter about this, because uh, 
Bob Ross was one of the uh, the main uh, historians chronicling Church of Christ history. So he had it all right here, and I made sure since I was the editor of this newsletter to put that information on here. And uh, I want to I want to read uh, down here under the first column for the people and the people on the. I'm not going to read all this because it's just too much information. But as I always tell people, when I put a something like this with a lot of documented information on it, that when people want to, if, if I don't read it all, because it's a matter of time, but people can just pause the video. As they're watching this video on YouTube, they can just hit the pause button. And we have high technology here, so they'll be able to read all this documentation about the history of the Church of Christ. And uh, therefore, uh, they'll... They'll know what you're talking about because it's interesting here on what you just said, and that's what brought me to bring this up, is like, where's the church all this time? And, you know, what, you mean it's starting here in San Francisco? <laughs> but but uh, the way this restoration movement started, and I'm just going to read some of the documentation I have here uh, from the, the newsletter. I was going to start down here. What is a, a restoration movement? Which people can read that information for themselves. But uh, I want to start in the, the second column, actually, where it says, who were the leaders of the restoration movement? And the number one leader was Thomas Campbell. And Thomas Campbell's famous declaration and address stated in no uncertain terms the principles upon which such restoration should rest. And that's from... Uh, the Spiritual Sword, which is a Church of Christ publication, uh, from, and that's a, a national Church of Christ publication uh, from July 73, 1973, page 15. And then you have the next uh, that's accepted by all the, as, as I've always called Campbellite churches, a restoration movement, Church of Christ movement, uh, is uh, Alexander Campbell. Ale Alexander Campbell was a son of Thomas Campbell. And uh, He's also recognized, and I can read these quotes, but the people can see all this for themselves. Uh, I'm not just read all these documentation where it came from, but the four major leaders of the Restoration Movement were Thomas Campbell, who was the father of Alexander Campbell, and then you also had Barton W. Stone and also Walter Scott. These were the four, as they call, pioneers that started the Restoration Movement and the whole Church of Christ movement. And that's what the International Church of Christ came out of. Uh, so that's the initial history of where did this come from. And the question people don't understand is, what do they mean by restoration movement? What are they restoring? And that's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to key in on some of the, the key stuff here. But you have the chronological history of how these Campbells came over from Europe and settled over here in America. And uh, you're looking at 1807, 1809, uh, around that time, 1810, 1811. It gives you exactly what's going on in their history as they're going to start this Church of Christ restoration movement in America. And uh, without reading all this information, but your history is right here, 1816, 1820, 1823, 1823 again, and it's all documented from Church of Christ, Campbellite uh, documentation. And now here's what I wanted to hone in on, on page one of this newsletter, 1827. And uh, 
Here's the key to how the Church of Christ started and where the Restoration Movement began. You have Walter Scott, one of those four Restoration leaders. In 1827, Walter Scott arranges the, quote, ancient gospel. What they mean by that ancient gospel, which means goes all the way back to the book of Acts and the Bible and New Testament, uh, the ancient gospel, and makes, quote, experiments with it, baptizes William Amend on November 18, 1827. So they baptize this William Amend, and after they baptize this guy, and claims to have restored the gospel. Now this is coming from actual Church of Christ history, the documentation's on, on here. See Life of Elder Walter Scott by Baxter, uh, by Baxter, chapter 6, Memoirs of Alexander Campbell, volume 2, pages 208 to 220. So apparently in 1827, they baptized this guy in water by full immersion. And after they did that, they declared that they have restored the ancient gospel. And what they, in their writings and other teachings, and of course this history in the newsletter goes on for a while. And there's Alexander Campbell. Gives, we get into a lot more documentation about all of that. But anyone that wants to can email our ministry uh, to get a copy of this newsletter. Or if they want to email us at cdebater at aol.com, they can do so. I'll send them a copy of this newsletter or I'll attach it to an email and send it off to you. So we have all this history and also the documentation if you want to pursue this further to really verify all this. But anyway, the, the, the Church of Christ goes back to where these, these guys who were Presbyterians, the Campbells, came over and they got associated with the Redstone Baptist Association, but then they were about to kick, get kicked out of that. This is all in this history I didn't read. Uh, but then they decided to go uh, do go their own way and start something new. And so these four guys are together, and they go out on a creek somewhere. And by the way, I got baptized in a creek, but and it was full immersion too. But uh, anyway, they go out, and they find this William Amin guy in 1827. And... Uh, that was on November 18th, so he did it in the wintertime like I did, and it was no fun getting baptized in a freezing creek. <laughs> but I did it because you love the Lord, you do what you have to do, whether the weather's cold or not. Uh, but uh, So they're saying, eventually, that well, this was the restoration of the ancient gospel, which was lost for all these thousands of years. You know, 1827 is like, 1,827 years since the Bible went out back there in the beginning, the ancient gospel. So they're saying that when they baptized this guy, that's where the true church of Christ began. That's where it all started because they baptized this guy, William Amin, and discovered through this arrangement that they had discovered the uh, restoration and had restored the gospel for the first time. In 1,827 years. And so it starts to make sense why you're starting to put that together. Like, well, wait a minute, where's the church? Well, what they're saying is there was no real church until they figured this out by baptizing this William Amin guy in 1827 because it was baptism unto remission of sins. 
And uh, we've got something like, I don't know, on our, our, our playlist on Church of Christ, we've got somewhere around six or seven debates with the Campbellite preachers. And when we're always battling on Acts 2.38 and, and all this stuff about baptism and uh, do you need water baptism to get saved and all that stuff. But uh, the key is they're making water baptism essential for salvation. And it's been lost for all these, these centuries, centuries and centuries and centuries. And nobody did it right until in 1827, these guys who started the Church of Christ, they restored it. And all of a sudden, it was all lost, and now we got it back, and all those other people are lost because they didn't have it right. And uh, so that's the that's where it all started, came from, and that's where the International Church of Christ got most of their understanding and beliefs about everything. So your red flag was a good red flag because <laughs> I don't know if they ever told you about any of this kind of history here because they were a, an offshoot. That came way, you know, about 150 years later. <laughs> and sometimes they don't tell you all their history of what was going on when the origins of their group began. But this is the origins of where the, what calls itself the Church of Christ these days. This is the origin, 1827, with these, these four restorers, as they call them. The Campbells, Barton W. Stone, and uh, Walter Scott. So they restored the ancient gospel, and nobody had it until they figured out how to do it in this creek. So that was your first red flag. So this place is, you know, what happened to everybody else? Now you know what happened to everybody else. They didn't get saved because they didn't know how to baptize properly. So from there, what started to happen in your mind is your doubts started to grow. Well, I started doing research, and then there were other red flags, too, that kind of stemmed from the first red flag, the very high degree of control that these people exercise over me. And there's there's this hierarchical structure of, of people, and then there's people who disciple them and people who disciple those people and so on. And in theory, what they tell you is that you have to – that if your discipler says something against the Bible or goes against your conscience, then you should disobey them. But in practice, because they would, they would often twist scripture that nine times out of 10, uh, whatever, however your discipler advised you to live your life, that was pretty much made equivalent to the Bible. And it continued from the bottom on up. You know, it was whatever the ministers would say, whatever the pastors would say, or whatever the, elders would say so it was a very there's a very strong power structure in there and i just really questioned why that was necessary towards the end when i left i started um i started kind of going against the grain and making decisions that other people would not have made but i thought were best for me and i was very strongly questioning these decisions and i was invited to sessions where they pretty much tried to wear me down until i would go along with the advice that my discipler would give me Pretty much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's what really stirred the pot to start getting you going. Now, how far? Okay. The last place we were at was four months in. And now how long did it take you to get to these, these red flags that are starting to pop up another year or so, or what, when did this all start to percolate pretty good? 
started in the summer of 2018 when the first red flags really started coming in. So it was about, that was about after I'd been there for about three years. Okay. So three years in, so you're yeah. listening to all this stuff. You're, you're hanging in there. You're, you're doing good so far, but just after three years of putting up with all this stuff, these, these doubts start to pop up and the advice that you were being given and being told to do, you didn't like that advice. And, uh, like you said, they're, they're talking to you like they're supreme and whatever they say, like you said, is like, whatever we tell you, it's basically what the Bible says and so forth. But, uh, after three years of this, you at least had some knowledge of the Bible, right? And maybe you were looking at a Bible verse a little different than they were, which happens a lot. I mean, that's just the way it is in normal life. You got different interpretations. Some some uh, certain verses are hard to interpret. Even it says that in Second uh, Peter chapter three verse sixteen, where it says where Peter talks about Paul. He says some of the writings of Paul are hard to understand. And they have twisted them to their own destruction. Uh, so, yeah. and so uh, you're starting to, and it sounds like the major reason, not only your first red flag, but what led you to actually, after three years of this, you're starting not to, you're starting to disagree with all this advice and the restrictive nature of them just interfering in your personal life. Did they ever keep a list of your sins or anything? Yes. And that, they, they did do that. It started in the Bible studies. And um, sometimes I would confess sins to them with good intentions, thinking like, you know, I wanted to repent of these sins and I wanted to live a good Christian life. But if I slipped up later or if I went against their advice, they would bring up these things in an effort to control it. Say, hey, well, remember, you do this. You know, you're, you're vulnerable to this. So you, you need to listen to us because we know who you really are. Oh, okay. So it it almost sounds like uh, in, a, in a different way, in Roman Catholicism, you have to go, con- that's part of your salvation. You have to go confess yeah. your your sins to a priest, but that's only good until you commit the next mortal or venial sin. And so you yeah. got to keep going back to the priest and he'll forgive you up at that point. But if you keep committing the same sin, and one of our one of our church members, Richard Bennett, was a Roman Catholic priest for twenty two and a half years or twenty two years, and he was talking. And he's got a lot of videos on YouTube about this, but he would he'd be in that confession box, and it'd be the same old sins every week. <laughs> they come over there. Well, I was committing adultery with this guy's wife, and blah blah blah, and uh, he'd get absolved of a sin and be given some things he's supposed to do, but he'd always fail, and he'd just come back and report the same thing every week, you know, and Richard said he felt so dirty. <laughs> he should be confessing yeah. these, they should be confessing them, their sins to the Lord, to God, yeah, and not to some man. Go ahead. Yeah, what are you about to how say? I felt, and I'd like to point out the power structure of the ICOC is quite similar to that of Roman Catholicism. So the person who is at the top in the Bay uh, Area, he's almost like the Pope. In a way, I mean, whatever uh, he says goes and they yeah. don't say that, you know, they say, hey, you know, be a Berean, search the scriptures for yourself. But it's yeah. like when people search the scriptures, it almost always happens to agree with whatever the person at the top says or whatever their disciples mm-hmm. say. They'll say, oh, I should have listened to my disciples or whatever, because all they have are those little scriptures. They're not reading it in context. They're not getting right, the whole right, counsel right. of God. 
Exactly. That's Acts 20, 27, I believe, the whole counsel of God. And he gets in. In fact, that was one of the passages I was going to read here. Uh, and then I realized I can't start the show off with this because it's uh, it's just an insert into a major video. But you just gave me the perfect opportunity to read what I was going to read anyway, or in the other way I was going to approach it. Acts chapter 20, verse 27 for and I'm reading from a King James. This this Bible's like uh, 41 years old. It's falling apart on me. I gotta keep this rubber band and keep it from falling all over the place. I did a show with Pastor Ray. I think one show I did with him a few months ago. It I was too close to the edge of the table, and this whole section of the Bible fell everywhere. I don't think I've still got it all back together again like it should be. But anyway, uh, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all. The counsel of God, which you just quoted. Uh, then following that is very important. 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For, in this is verse 29, for I know this that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Do they ever use the word disciples in uh, International Church of Christ? So uh, verse 30 says, Also on your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So you've got people, wolves in sheep's clothing and so forth, that are going to try to draw away disciples after themselves. And now you're just talking about this hierarchy that's that uh, of these people that call you a disciple, but then you got to listen to these other people. Now you say there's a man at the top, sort of like the Pope. What do they call him? In the what, what Did he have a title in the International Church of Christ? Was there a certain title he held? Um, I don't recall. He was just the pastor slash sector leader. I mean, we, we weren't as um, big on these titles when when I was there, but they had you know, ministers and pastors and elders and stuff like that. Oh, so like the head man would be like a pastor of that particular church or was he an overseer of several churches in uh, California? Well, he had his own church. There, each of these um, churches, they would have like different sectors or divisions. There would be like the Bay Area sector, which I was a member of. And I think the Palo Alto church was the head church of that sector. I went to the Oakland church. So the Palo Alto church was in charge of the church in Oakland, um, a church in San Francisco, and any other churches that were in, that were in their territory. I got you. And so they had their... their it, it almost sounds sort of like uh, the way the Roman Catholics have their setup. They got the Pope here, then they got archbishops that oversee an area. Then after them are the the regular bishops who oversee different parishes, uh, where you got your your regular priests down there, and a lot of these 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 churches from there. So it's just kind of a pyramid structure that goes on the top down, and uh, you were sort of at the at the bottom. So you had a lot of uh, people telling you what to do. <laughs> it, yeah. it, it, sounded, it sounded like to me. Uh, so here we are three years deep 
into this group and uh, you're starting to have red flags buzzing all over the place. They're telling you a lot of stuff you don't necessarily agree with. So what happens next? Well, um, I started reading more of the Bible. To uh oh, if you do that, that's going to mess things up. If you start reading more of the Bible instead yeah. of listening to people that are telling you things, that could cause trouble. I've seen that yeah. happen with a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Certain, certain scriptures came came to mind, especially when Jesus was interacting with the Pharisees. You know, he tell the Pharisees, um, "You you put burdens on men. You don't lift a finger to help them." and you're just going along with traditions of men. They had all these other extra biblical rules about uh, dating. You're supposed to go on these encouragement dates with sisters and only double dates were allowed. You couldn't just go out like one-on-one. Yeah. Um, if you were romantically interested in somebody, you couldn't state interest in them directly. You had to go through your discipler or another higher up person. And they had to tell that person you were interested in them. They Everything had to be done like, a certain way and it was mostly the ways that the leaders wanted it to be done and they would add these requirements they would if someone went against these rules then they would consider that person in spiritual danger they would say or oh, they're being they're being prideful or they're just lacking faith or whatever and they would go through kind of a church discipline process for people who were not following these rules eventually first of all they'd bring it to that person privately, then they bring another yeah. person and they'd mention that person's publicly Matthew in service. 18. Eventually they'd mention their name. Right. Right. And so you're not, you're not kidding around when you talk about they're really interfering with your personal life. You, you got to go through all these people and their rules and regulations just to ask someone out for a date or something, you know? Uh, so, so it's stuff like this that was starting to irritate you. Uh, to a, a great extent, as these people were interfering personally in your life. And then at the same time, you're reading the Bible. You're reading like Matthew 15. From what you said, it sounded like you're reading Matthew 15 uh, about traditions of men and, and you know, the, the, the legalists, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and all that. Uh, so this is probably starting to lead to more and more discontent on your part. And also, another thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, did they ever warn you because you're going through discipline and all this kind of stuff that uh, you could lose your salvation if you leave their church? And all that? did you ever get any threats like that? That you could you you've got your salvation now because you're a member of our church and you got water baptized. But in their theology, can you lose all that? Even though you did everything they said. If you start going to, let's say you, let's say you went out on a date with somebody without getting their permission, and you didn't repent of that, uh, and they used discipline against you, uh, would they, and you refused to accept the discipline, and they excommunicate you, would that lose your salvation right there, as an example? According to what they believe, most likely, yes. And for me personally. I wasn't, I didn't get to that point where it was, I was warned I would lose my salvation, but, you know, I would say something to a sister in the church, or I would just do something that they didn't like, and they'd pull me aside and say, hey, we need to talk to you for a second, you know, Naveen, you need, you're not doing this, this, and this, this is not how you're supposed to do it, and towards the end, I would start contesting that more often, I'd say, hey, you know, where does the Bible say this, you know, where does the Bible have yeah. these have these rules about what we're supposed to do? And, you know, even even Jesus wouldn't 
act this way at times. I, I thought they were just being very harsh. I still believed in them. I just believed that they were misguided. And I thought, well, yeah. you know, nobody's perfect. We all have things that we disagree on. I didn't see that by itself as reason enough to leave. But I would be in studies. I was an active participant in studies and recruiting other people and trying to get them baptized. And they would say, you know, hey, you know, such so-and-so brother did this thing. And that brother ended up walking away from the kingdom or, you know, or that temptations can take us away from the kingdom of God. Or they would even say to brothers who were struggling, you know, kind of jokingly, do you want to be a Christian today? Stuff like that, as if you could just walk in and out of the kingdom of God, which, of course, yeah. I learned later after leaving that that's it's not true at all, that, you know, no one can take you out of the father's hand. Not even the devil himself can do that. Yeah, but now when you say that, you're talking biblical truth. You're talking what the Bible teaches and not what they're teaching. Because the way they teach, it sounds like it's a revolving door where you're in. You can be in or out, depending on what you're doing according to their rules and regulations, the works you do to keep yourself in there. In the only true church that's around, at least since 1827. So. <laughs> but, but, but anyway, <laughs> so, because uh, I wanted the viewers, I'm always thinking like, what are the viewers thinking as you talk? I'm trying to throw that stuff at you that maybe I came into the question of, of a viewer and this yeah. would clarify it a little bit because that last thing you said was biblical truth. But what I'm saying is they would think or say, well, you're, because you were right. Once you're a true Christian, born again, supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're in, and, and you're never going to lose that salvation. All your sins have been paid for. And uh, and when I say this to people, I've done it on the radio, television, every I, I always get hostile feedback. But Jesus paid for all your sins, past, present, and future. So once you're in, you're in. Uh, and you'll never be taken out of that. And that's what you were saying. That was so true. Uh, but... Works righteousness, people that believe your works keep you in. And like in Roman Catholicism, you go to purgatory and you work your way out if you do enough good stuff to get yourself out of purgatory. Of course, purgatory is not real. It's just a way to make money for the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, it's not in the Bible. But uh, anyway, those guys, they believe in works, righteousness, salvation. And you have to get water baptized. You have to do this, keep all this list, blah, blah, blah. blah. And uh, it, it, it's nothing like uh, you confess your sins to Christ and he'll forgive you of those sins and things of that. And, you know, as a Christian, you love God. You want to do what God wants. But we're, none of us are similarly perfect. And we're, we're repenting every day to try to live righteously as God is righteous and he's holy, and we should try to be holy too. We we ever we we try to do that, but we're still fallen sinners, and we got the old man nature, as you know from Paul talking about that. We got to fight that that old sin nature, and we got to crucify it daily. Uh, so none of us we perfect, so we can't expect our works to do anything for us. But once you're born again, you try to do the works, not to get saved, but because you already are saved. Because you are. That's. That's the big difference with the International Church of Christ. They're saying you got to do these works and keep this list uh, that they give you or else you can lose it all. And uh, But the Bible doesn't teach that at all. 
the key is they don't they think their water baptism is when you join their church puts you in the kingdom of God. But no, that's not it. It's the Holy Spirit on a super supernatural sovereign act of God that you had nothing to do with that just happened to you. <laughs> God did that. Not you jumping into that water at some group that says that, okay, you're saved now because you got saved here in this church. See, that's a different gospel. That's not the gospel that the Bible talks about. We don't need an international church of Christ to go to heaven. And I, and I would argue that uh, there have been many saints of God that have gone, a, gone straight to heaven 2,000 years ago, all the way up to the present time, and are still going to heaven, you know, getting born again and saved, and will be going to heaven in our lifetime and even after we're dead. That'll, that, that, that's never stopped. Uh, there has been no restoration. There's never been a time when it just ceased. The, 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 the kingdom of God cannot be stopped. The gates of hell can't stand against the, the, the Lord's kingdom. So uh, this whole idea of the restoration movement and their beginnings and water baptism and all that stuff are totally in error. So there came a point in your life where it, it just became too much for you. So what was it? What happened there? And you you finally made the the break with them. What what were the circumstances at this point? Um, well, I was living in my parents' house, and I, I had some I had a lot of issues in my relationship with my parents. It was very strained. So I was trying to do things behind my dad's back. I was lying to him about stuff because I was um, was doing stuff that he wouldn't approve of, and I was mm-hmm. trying to like purchase another vehicle even though I was in a lot of debt and I was behind on rent payments and I tried to hide that from him but he found out about it because like I added it to my car insurance or something like that and he asked me to change it and I said okay I said I was going to do it but I didn't really do it and he kept like pestering me about it and finally um, everything just blew up and because of the lies I told him the way I was living he ended up trying to kick me out of the house. And he told me, if you don't sell that car and tell the truth, then you're no longer welcome in this house. And so I sold the car that I bought and I told the truth about everything that was going on. I came clean and I came clean to uh, my disciple friends in the church. But really what I tried to do, I tried so hard to live righteously and I tr- and I just tried to be a Christian or what I thought a Christian was. And I just thought, you know what? I, I can't do this anymore. This is too much pressure for me. I'm subject to all these rules. These people are controlling my life. And then I realized I don't need to do what these people say anymore. And I thought at the time, well, I'm just done being a Christian. And I said a prayer where I basically broke up with God, like I was breaking up um, with a with a girlfriend or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I just said, you know, I'm going to go back to the way I was before. I'm just going to live my own life and just do whatever I want because mm-hmm. I, I just don't deserve to be um, in your kingdom. And I, I'm not a righteous, holy person. So after that, uh, some little bit of time passed and then I didn't go to church and I, I tried to process what I'd been through and 
I, I, I just didn't want the control anymore. So I sent a text to my friends basically saying, hey, you know, I want to take a break from being a Christian. I just don't want to do this anymore. And they knew about everything else that was going on. They said, hey, you know, they said they told me like, hey, we're sorry to hear that. We were concerned you're really struggling with your faith and you want to meet with us. And I said, no, I'm just not comfortable talking for a little bit. And they kept reaching out to me. And then finally I decided to meet up and then it was them there. And the pastor of our local church was also there. And he, he asked me a lot of questions. He asked me how I was doing. And, and he, he basically told me, you know, you're just, you're just lacking faith and you need to hang in there and do it and just try harder, you know, don't give up. Mm -hmm. And I so like a football coach. Yeah. And that's their version of holiness, you know, just trying as hard as you can. There's no power from the Holy spirit. I mean, they don't even believe, like, I don't think they believe the Holy Spirit is really active today, although they do technically believe in the existence of the Trinity. It's just, and like, the more you do, the more holy you are. Yeah, see, it's a works righteousness uh, religion. That's, you know, I've got almost 100 videos on Campbellism to prove that. But uh, anyway, uh, even just listening to you talk about this and what they're telling you, if I were in your situation... If I if I had that situation and I'm listening to these guys tell me this, that would not convince me of anything. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. What, what were your thoughts when they're telling you all this stuff? Yeah, I'm trying to remember also because it was a while ago and I haven't thought about this stuff in a while. So right, right, um, right, right. It's a little. It's a, uh, it might seem a little bit convoluted. I'm trying to pull this from all all the different. Um, trying to pull this from I, my I memory bank. Here. I understand. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm assuming that a, a apparently, because we're talking about right at the end when you made the final break. So this was the, like maybe the last discussion you had with them when you finally just quit the church. Yeah, I, I, I believe so. It was the last discussion. And then I told them, I just wanted to take a break for a while, but I'd still see my other friend who was occasionally in the church, you know, he would encourage me and then he would ask me questions about what I believe about my faith but it was very difficult to leave though I couldn't leave right away because the church didn't just control my life they were my life in a way because they were my mm -hmm. entire social life everybody that I knew was there it was almost everything that I'd ever known and however at the time I still lived in my parents house I never moved into moved into a household as they call it where they have all these roommates and they live communally and they supposedly live according right. to the bible that's what the church strongly encourages people to move towards mm -hmm. you know so they can the way i see it so they could be more indoctrinated into it and they would minimize the outside influences and i think by the grace of god back then i still had my connection to the outside world because i lived with my parents so my parents right. were kind of the voice of reason even though they weren't believers they would ask me why i was doing things that i was doing especially my father, you would ask me what my motive was. And I just couldn't come up with a clear answer other than, well, Jesus is God. And this is what pretty much what my church is telling me to do. Mm -hmm. You know, that pretty, was pretty much what it boiled down to. So after that, um, there was one person in particular I had a really rough relationship with. I told him basically I didn't want to be his friend anymore because he had lied to me several times. And he was my main discipler. And he, um, he just tried to, 
control me and his advice has been wrong. He just had a poor integrity. But after that, you know, I left, I stopped going to church and I want, I tried to go completely back to the way I was, tried to chase women. I tried doing things I was doing before, like uh, getting drunk, um, some trying marijuana, stuff like that. And just not, not reading my Bible, not leaving, not doing anything biblical, not thinking about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, so you're back to your old self. You've escaped them. And now yeah. you're back to your old ways. So then what happens? Well, I found that I couldn't really go back to my old ways because my conscience did bother me. And the things that I desired to do in my heart, I knew that they were wrong, that they were sin. And so I did think about think about God, but I didn't know how to really get to him and rebuild that relationship. So mm-hmm. I think after about two or three months, I just had enough. And I started reading the Bible a little bit again and looking. I didn't know this at the time, but in hindsight, I thought, you know, that's what that was really God drawing me to him and i during that time that's I john even chapter six that's john said the father draws you to the son and there's that drawing period i i had the same thing in my own self before i was virtually like you when i was in college i, I got saved two weeks after i graduated from college so uh but there's that drawing period and then all of a sudden you know the holy spirit comes down on you at some point but okay so tell us Tell us more here. This is fascinating. Go ahead. Yeah. So, and I completely rejected Christianity. I thought, you know what? Um, I I'd felt, I'd felt cheated that um, Christianity just didn't work for me. Uh, the, the system had failed me. It had failed to deliver the results that I was looking for and give me what I wanted, which is internal peace and also career and marriage and relational peace and all the things that things that the world had, but also, but also um, a true relationship with God. And I, I had come out worse. I had neither the sins which I wanted nor a relationship with God. So I decided I'm going to go my own way. But um, I, I do think that Jesus started drawing me. And by December of that year, probably five or six months after I had left, I was looking for churches and I had joined, I joined another, found another church in Oakland, California. They had good reviews on Yelp. So I decided to try them out. And mm-hmm. I met with the pastor. He was a very nice guy. I told him about my experience and everything I'd been through. And he was very sympathetic to me. And he said, you know, we apologize on behalf of clergy people for what you've been through. And, you know, he just guided me a little bit through my healing process. So that was the first church that I attended after the ICOC. And, I went there for probably about six months. It was was a sporadic attendance, you know, because I I had a late night job at the time. So I was working there. I wasn't able to go to a lot of the events, stuff like that. But I had some good fellowship and some good times there. I didn't know how they were like theologically. I just, all I wanted in a church is that they didn't believe that she needed to be baptized to be saved. (laughs) And, And I just needed a place to go and... Went there for probably about five or six months. Then in summer of 2019, I moved to Texas. I decided to leave California, leave behind everything I'd ever known. I'd wanted to leave California for a long time because of um, the way the, the state was. I just didn't like living in it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I 
wanted to come to Texas because the cost of living was lower and there's a lot of good economic opportunities out here as well. So I went there and probably didn't go to church for another few months. And then this roommate I was living with, um, he, he said he was a Christian, but he there's no other way to put it. He pretty much looked like the devil. And he's, his main favorite pastor was Joel Osteen. Oh, that so tells you everything you need to know. Prosperity gospel. So yeah, yeah fake, tells... fake Christian, fake Christianity. So yeah, I know all about that. We've uh, done a lot of videos on these phony TV preachers. I've got a whole playlist on our YouTube channel on phony TV preachers, <laughs> and he's one of them. So anyway, so now you're with this guy that's a fake Christian, and you're rooming with him. So now, what do you do? Um, I go to his church for a little bit. I visit it, and then. Eventually, I I left his place. I just couldn't stand living with him anymore because of his lifestyle. So I moved to another place, lived there for a few months. I'm living off of Airbnbs. I'm just living in like people's houses and paying rent. So I visit another church. I go out there. And these two churches that I was in in Texas, these were Southern Baptist churches. Okay. So that theology, you know, they, they do their service a certain way. And you know, they're, they're very seeker friendly. And that's what they say. They're welcoming everybody there. And I, I thought it was a nice place at first. You know, I'd go over to their growth groups, whatever, go over to people's houses. But there was something kind of lacking about it. It seemed um, shallow. It seemed like shallow to me. I don't know if it was really reformed theology or not. But, you know, well, Southern pastor, Baptist churches are mainly Arminian based yeah. churches, uh, seeker friendly churches reformed churches uh that usually runs a lot of people off because <laughs> uh, yeah. when you preach the word of god straight up that can be very offensive to people and do verse yeah. by verse weekly exposition of the word uh a lot of times uh southern baptist churches you get more uh a lot of sermon illustrations feel good stuff but a lot of denominations do that uh, a lot of past you got good churches and bad churches it just depends yeah. so the denominational title doesn't really tell you how good the ch it really comes down to individual pastors and what they're up to uh so there's gonna be some good southern baptist churches out there with a good preacher but then you have others that aren't like that at all so that's the problem it's dangerous out there uh pastor greg and me talked about that the, the all the churches out there is like a minefield you gotta you get when i got saved i wanted to join a church because that's what you're supposed to do and it took me like six seven eight months to finally find day spring in 1981 and of course once i found a good bible preaching church I just stayed there for the next, you know, I'm still there. So that's 41 years I've been at the same church because it's hard to find a good Bible preaching, teaching church in amidst all this minefield of churches. So I know because I spent all those months just going to one church after another, trying to find something that wasn't shallow or something that disturbed me or, you know, things of that nature until I could just get where I can have a preacher that can just give me the deep things of the word of God, a good exposition where I can really learn from the Word of God. That's what I wanted. I wanted a church like that. And uh, I got it, you know, with Dayspring, obviously. That's why I'm still there after all these years. But anyway, go ahead. You're still on your journey like I was, just bouncing around from one church to another. Yeah. <laughs> I did it I, myself. I so. Yeah, and I don't understand the distinction between Calvinist and Arminian. I just thought, oh, well, they, they preach salvation 
by faith. You know, they're not they're not Catholic, they're not Church of Christ or <coughs> whatever. So, <coughs> I mean, it's it's all good. The pastor would be there and he'd tell lots of jokes in the service. I thought it was entertaining that after a while I kind of lost interest and I didn't really know why. And also I moved to another place. The church I was visiting was in Bastrop and I moved to the city of Austin, which is where I live now. And so the church in Bastrop was like 40 miles away. So it just wasn't practical for me to go there anymore. Right. And so I was churchless again for a while for a period of probably period of probably from March 2020 to, to June or July of 2020. And then it was at that point that I was starting to get really worried because I struggled a lot with deep sins. You know, I, I read my Bible most days, but I just couldn't bring myself to really live holy. And I thought, you know, because I, I guess because I had the Holy Spirit prevented me from going too far off the rails, but I still wasn't really loving God at all. And I was still like pers- actively pursuing sins at times. And that was when I found the ministry of Ray Comfort online. I'd listen, well, listen I know, to the yeah, radio in my car a lot. As I was, he's been um, a guest on our program. So go ahead. Oh, nice. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We, you know he's on our YouTube channel. Uh, we did a, I used to have a radio broadcast on Saturday afternoons, and we had him on as a guest one, one Saturday, and that was, that was great. So anyway, go ahead. And I was very unsure of my salvation. And so I believe the, the Lord showed me these different radio programs. They led me to Ray Comfort, and I see Ray Comfort's videos online. He'd go through the Ten Commandments. So that's how he would evangelize. Yeah with people and yeah. you know, I'd go through those and um, he would talk about the problem of false converts, which was a big problem, you know, mm-hmm. which a big problem in this country. There were people That's who right. would just, you know, walk down the aisle or ask Jesus into their heart, but then they had yeah. no change in their lives afterwards. They just completely fallen away and they were naming the name of Christ, but they were living like the world. And I thought, Oh no, well, what if that's me? Because, you know, I, I was very insecure about my salvation. I, I knew that my baptism didn't save me, but I wasn't sure that um, when I got, when I was reading gotquestions.org in my room in my parents' house, that I wasn't sure that my faith was really strong enough. You know, like I I asked for forgiveness for my sins, but was I really grieved enough over my sins? And, and I wanted to serve Christ enough. And the way I was living now did not reflect Trump, did not was not, you know, conforming to Christ at all. And I thought, you know, I had gotten saved simply because I'd wanted a better life, not, not out of a love of God and not out of true mm-hmm. repentance of my sins. So over time, I came to a conclusion that I was actually not saved, mm-hmm. which and what, and it wasn't true at the time. Like looking back at it, I was, but I thought I wasn't. So I was confused. And then I, I, you know, got on my knees at night. I prayed a prayer. I asked for God's forgiveness and I accepted it. And I pretty much, and I pretty much wanted to give my life back to him. I guess some people say, rededicate your life right. to Christ. And it was at that point that I started to find, I started to look for a good church. I went to this website, founders.org. And I looked up, I put in my zip code and I looked up churches that were nearby and Dayspring happened to be the nearest church to where I was living at the time. So I looked at the website and this time I wanted to find a good church. So I got this list of questions to ask a church to make sure that theologically solid and 
like 25 questions. You know, I did thorough research into what Dayspring believed, you know, about salvation, you know, the confessions of faith that they had and, and just um, how membership was handled, even about church discipline. I wanted a church that would actually discipline people and they did do that. And so I sent Pastor Greg an email asking, saying, hey, I said something like I'm along the lines of I'm looking for a church in the area. And he said, sure, you know, we'd like to talk to you or I'd like to talk to you. And then I talked to Greg on the phone and I told him about my testimony and I described my experience. And he interrupted me and he said, are you talking about the International Church of Christ or Boston Movement? And I said, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he said, that was the exact same group that recruited me. And then I told him where I went to college. And he said, that's where I went to college, too. <laughs> And that that was totally out of the blue. I, I did not expect that at all. That was just, right. that was the providence of God. And I talked to I was to about him. to say that. The providence yeah. of God. I was about to say that. You beat me to it. Go ahead. <laughs> and and um, we, we talked with some more and we bonded and got to know each other well in the conversation. And after a while, I visited their church for the first time. I listened to a virtual service because at the time they were shut down. It was during COVID. Right. But then when they opened back up, I went to their service for the first time. And I, I pretty much knew within 10 minutes of going there that this church was the one for me. This is where I wanted to be. And I, I prayed, was totally trusting God to find a good church. And he had answered my prayers. You know, I like the way I like the way you went about this because it's exactly the way when I finally found a church, I actually, you know, I'd gone there a couple of times and I started to say, you know, this is a good church. And I'm talking about day spring in this case, because I've been going to all these churches for months and I hadn't got to the point where I was really wanting to pull a trigger on joining any of them. Uh, but when I've been day spring a few times, uh, a couple of times, I said, you know what? I think I want to join this church after all these months of searching. But I'm not just going to walk in there. Uh, I need to know exactly where they stand on all these points. And I made a list just like you. <laughs> I made a list because I'd already been learning all my stuff from uh, Walter Martin, who is uh, the top Christian apologist dealing with cults, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, all the different false religions out there. And so I was well honed over all these months. I really have my Bible doctrine down. And so I wanted to make sure I wasn't joining a cult, right? <laughs> and, yeah. and I had all these questions, uh, just like you, where I, and then the pastor then was uh, P- Pastor Jackson Boyette. And man, I put him to the ringer. I met him at his house in his study. And I sat there and I grilled him to make sure he, w- he better answer yeah. these questions right. I grilled him. And he answered every single question right on the money. And uh, I said, all right, sign me up. I'm joining this church. <laughs> yeah, I, I Googled 25 questions to ask, and I, I grilled Greg, and he, he, yeah. he answered all the questions in a way that I'd like to hear. And I can tell you, um, over two years later, they're definitely not a cult. <laughs> yes, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. I wouldn't want to think I made a 41-year mistake. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, uh, that's exciting for me because anyone looking for a church should have a list like you and I made. If you're going to join a church and you're looking for a church, you better have your theological questions lined up to see what you're putting yourself into to protect yourself and your family 
from making a big mistake like we all did at first. I, I didn't tell you this, and I'm not going to go into great deal detail about it, but when I first got saved, I almost joined a oneness Pentecostal church like a week or two after I got born again. I'm still in that honeymoon period. I joined one of these. Uh, I almost joined. I didn't join. I just visited, and I liked it a lot. Then I went back a second time. I was going to get baptized, uh, and uh, but I went through this all with Greg. But anyway, I realized after that, it forced me that uh, red flags, the Holy Spirit was talking to me. Something's wrong with this church. I need to go find out. We used to have a lot of Christian bookstores back then. And so I went and did the research and found out it was a, a false religion. One that's Pentecostals. They denied the Trinity and all that. Uh, but uh, anyway, and never went back there again. But it prepared me to be ready. I can't just, because I get, I can't get emotionally involved until I know they can answer the, the list of questions. So that's, that's a key thing people should take away from this is before you join a church, you better make sure because <laughs> all three of us, uh, me included, because I almost joined a oneness Pentecostal church right at right at the beginning, uh, but the Lord got me kept me from doing that. Greg, two weeks in, he got rid of the International Church of Christ, and then you it took you a little bit longer, but then you got out of that, and then you did exactly the right thing to find the right church, get your doctrinal questions set up to make sure you're not making any big mistake again. But there, these churches are dangerous out there. There's so many false prophets and wolves in these churches. Uh, you got to be careful before you just listen to one sermon and think, oh, I'll just join this church. You know, mm-hmm. Big mistake because any church, no matter what the denominational title might be, it may, it may be a liberal Baptist church. It could be a liberal, uh, well, most of them are already a Methodist church or Presbyterian Episcopal. You, got, you can't take a chance because it's really messed up out right, there, right now out there. So doing that, what you did, what I did, is the way to go if you're looking for a church home. You've got to make sure that church is doctrinally sound. If you're looking for what the Bible actually teaches, because so many churches these days don't believe this. They change it up. They water it down. It's shallow. Preaching's no good. All that kind of stuff because they don't really believe this word and get into the deep things of God. So uh, with that, praise God. The Lord, by his providence, Amen. took care of your situation for you like he does all his His people. So uh, praise that was a great testimony, brother. Got any final things to say to anyone that's entertaining the idea of joining the International Church of Christ, because no doubt we'll have some people like that are thinking about joining it, and they'll be watching this video to see if they get something they can find out along that line. So pretend like you're talking to someone that's thinking about joining the International Church of Christ. What would you tell that person right now? So first, just get the Bible and read the Bible for yourself. You know, be a Berean, as I said in the book of Acts, search the scriptures for yourselves to see if they're true and also read the Bible in context. Don't just trust what someone says just because they seem authoritative. And so, you know, even things I've said here, don't take my word for it. Just read scripture for yourself and it will reveal itself to you. And also one thing, one thing I want to let you know above all else, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. So you you need to come to him and turn from your sin and throw yourself on his mercy 
for salvation. He is the only one that can save you. He's your only hope. He's not, not your baptism, not your works. You cannot earn your way into heaven. And the reason for that is because of the seriousness of sin. Sin against a perfectly holy and righteous God is too serious to be made up for by your own by your own good deeds. So even one sin can put you under the wrath of God. It's but strange. fortunately, Jesus fully paid the price for your sins, past, present, and future. And he yeah. took he took the punishment that you and I deserve to take. So we come to him. God is rich in mercy. He will he will forgive you and he will welcome you into his family and his Holy Spirit will change you and give you a new heart and new desires and you will love him and you will be eternally saved. We'll spend eternity with him in heaven. Amen. Excellent word of advice to people that, uh, now let's say somebody in your case, you're coming all the way from California to Texas then you moved from like Bastrop to Austin, things like this. Uh, so you said there's a way on the internet that where you can try to look for good churches near you, or how would you know they're a good church? It just happened that Dayspring happened to be in the Providence of God near, near where you were, but somebody that's looking for a church in Massachusetts or, uh, you know, in some state or maybe in Hawaii or something, uh, is there anything you can recommend where they should go to see if they can find out a book, a good, healthy Bible preaching church? Now, I will say that Pastor Greg gave those lists when we did our part, his part of this video. So he did give that list. I didn't know if you knew of any extras besides that. Yeah, um, there's a website I mentioned earlier. It's called founders.org. Okay. Um, that's it's the only one that I really know of as well. However, there is a ministry that's done by Todd Friel called Wretched, where he has many videos about how to find a good church, the basics of what a biblically solid church should teach. So you can uh, use that for reference, and it's biblically sound as well. You know, that's a, that's a very good, very good recommendation because I know Todd Friel, and uh, he's he's solid. Uh, he's he, that's a good ministry he has. He's been blessed by God with that ministry, so that's an excellent recommendation. And of course, the viewers of this can listen to Pastor Greg and the rest of this video. He'll give those lists about a good church to find wherever you may be in the United States or somewhere in the world that may help you find a, a decent church that you can go to. So, all right, brother, I appreciate uh, your testimony. It's wonderful. And the good words you gave at the end there for people that may be considering joining the International Church of Christ. Uh, with that, I'm going to sign off for this uh, little clip that we're putting into our main video. And once again, brother, great. Thank you for coming, putting the time into this to do this uh, interview. And excellent job on this, you know. Uh, so may, we'll leave it in the hands of the Lord now to see if uh, he can use it as he always does with things of this nature to his glory uh, because the internet reaches out to a lot of people in a lot of countries and uh, no telling what the Lord will do with this, but it's now there and this video may still be running. I've got videos I've done for 30 years ago and people are still watching them. <laughs> so, so who knows what the Lord will do with this video once we have it up on the internet 
and who it's going to touch by the sovereignty of God. It's just wonderful, but you did a wonderful job. So thank you so much, you. brother, for being with, with me here on this, Nabil, and we'll talk to you. I'll see you at church sometime over there. God bless you now. Have a great day. Right. Thank you. You too, brother. Have a good night. All right. You just heard uh, Naveen's experience with dealing with the International Church of Christ. And now we've returned to another short-lived member of the International Church, <laughs> two weeks or so before God got him out of that. And I wanted to say before we go back to Pastor Greg that uh, it's interesting about this because, uh, uh, you know, I went to the University of Texas. Of course, I was about 10 years ahead of you. And so I'm a student there and I'm, I was never a saved man the whole time I was a student. At, and I stayed two extra years because my dad was paying for everything and I was having a good time and I intentionally didn't take some of the classes I should have took so I could extend my, join the easy life of just you know, not having to work a real job and just the, the, the college life. And I think University of Texas was always in the top 10 list on these lists they put out of party schools. So, you know, so I was, I was just a worldly guy uh, for most of my college, all my college. In fact, I didn't get saved until two weeks after I graduated. <laughs> so I wasn't, I was never a Christian. And so I fit right in with the college crowd, right? I was never a Christian the whole time I, I was there. And then when I did not two weeks, in my case, the two weeks is two weeks after uh, graduating that the Lord, I was born again on uh, May 16, 1981, in my uh, uh, my parents-in-law's living room while I was reading a Hal Lindsey book on uh, 1980s, uh, the Armageddon, something like that. Uh, and uh, he was reading, he was, in every verse he quoted in his book, I would look it up. And I had a Roman Catholic Bible there in my, my in-law's, living room and I was looking it up second Timothy chapter three verses one through five about the last days perilous times and I got to that last verse there uh, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof I always use my going to church twice a year as my excuse to you know, I'd always go on Christmas and Easter right except sometimes I skip Easter and I, but I'd always go on the Christmas service and uh uh, I thought that's good enough to get me by to make it to heaven, you know, uh, having that form of godliness. But right there on that verse, as I was reading it, I got convicted of my sin. The Holy Spirit fell on me. I can almost, in fact, it seems so real. I don't know if I was dreaming or not, but I, because there's a, a scripture about the 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 uh, angels rejoicing when a sinner repents, and uh, boy, I was on my knees and I'm crying out to God. I know I'm lost. I know, uh oh, going to going to church on Christmas only, that's not going to cut it. I'm just as lost as can be. And, and I was crying out to God. And, you know, when you're born again supernaturally, you know it. And that's why when you said what you said a while ago, that when they're telling you you're not saved yet, you got to see, but you already knew you were saved because right. you had that supernatural, you got the spirit of God and dwelling in you. And that wasn't there before you got born again. <laughs> Is they're telling you something that you already know can't be true, and that's why all the little red flags are going off. Yeah. And uh, a commonality I have with you on your experience is the fact that uh, uh, after I got saved, I'm just new in the Lord and everything. Uh, 
I, I wanted to, I started checking out churches, but the first church I checked out as a born again Christian was a oneness Pentecostal church. Uh, it's called the World of Pentecost in, uh, in uh, Austin, Texas. So I go to that church, and man, they got the, the, the rock music going. They got the strobe lights like, like at a disco. And, you know, my wife was, a, you know, when I met her in college and everything, of course, we were already married by this time, but uh, uh, she's a great disco dancer. And, uh, uh, and so I was into that kind of music, and, and and the preacher's up there preaching like crazy and yelling and screaming, and he's got to have a handkerchief because he's working up a sweat. And I said, man, these guys are really excited, the music, and, and everybody jumping up and down. Of course, I noticed that all the women were wearing dresses, you know, and stuff like that. But uh, I thought, man, this is, these guys are on fire for God. Because when you're first saved, you got that, like, honeymoon, you're just, you, you just want to be, you're just super excited. I mean... One thing when people ask my wife, what what did you notice when your husband became a born again Christian? She always says the same thing. Oh, he lost all his friends. <laughs> I lost them all, man, because I'm trying to preach to them all excited. I, I, I'm telling them, every one of them, and they say, I knew I didn't have any friends left. <laughs> they didn't want to be around me. But uh, but anyway, so I'm wanting to join this church, and I think it was in the second week. Uh, that I was there, enjoy, you know, excited about service, but I, I, I called the pastor over uh, after the service. I said, well, I want to join your church. And he said, have you been baptized? You know, and I said, oh, yeah, when I was a baby, you know, because I was raised in a Lutheran church. And uh, he goes, well, uh, you need to be baptized. Baptized in the name of Jesus. You gotta, we, gotta, we need to get you baptized right away because in that church, you're not saved. Until you're baptized, you know, Acts 2.38. You're going to be baptized in the name of Jesus only. They don't count Matthew 28.19, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, so all of a sudden when he said that, <laughs> red flags are, are going up all over the way. And he scheduled me to get baptized the next week, right? So in the meantime, I ran over to the, back in the day when there used to be Christian bookstores. I, they're, they're kind of disappearing fast these days, but... Uh, I went over there and started to try to find some books there about this group that I was about to join. And I found uh, I found some guy named Walter Martin uh, who wrote The Kingdom of the Cults. And he kind of became my mentor before I actually found a real church, which was Dayspring, which you're the pastor of. Uh, but it took a bunch of months to do that because in the meantime, I'm searching around at churches to join. Uh, but uh, anyway, what I read there confirmed to me because you know when you're raised lutheran you're always hearing about the the trinity father son holy spirit and i'm starting to find out they denied the trinity because i got their doctrinal statement and all that stuff as they were going to have me baptized the next week and it's kind of funny because in your case you know you're starting to you're you're joining the church already i'm about to join it so we're real close on that we're both about you're in the cult i'm about to join the cult <laughs> but i just headed it off ahead of time before I got baptized. And uh, so in that case, I got away from that and I went, you know, started uh, checking other churches for months until Jackson Boyette came along. But the other interesting thing you said is the college campuses are full of cults yep. that have their people out on the campus. Because yeah. the whole time I was a student, I, I felt like I, I didn't need to talk to any of these guys because I'm okay because I was raised a Lutheran and 
And I go to church at least twice a year, but sometimes once, but that's good enough. So I never listened to any of those guys, but I saw them everywhere at their yeah. tables and stuff. Yeah. Uh, years later, after I became a Christian apologist and could defend the faith and knew the Word of God, I would go out to campus on purposes of evangelism, yeah. and I would go to those different tables. And I don't know, more than once, I, I'd go to the Jehovah's Witness table, and I'd always carry a backpack with me, and I had all these books and reference materials along with the... Little Walter Martin reference Bible here on me. And uh, I would get to the Jehovah's Witness table and I'd start pulling out watchtowers where they were predicting the end of the world in 1975, 1941, and 1925. And uh, it wouldn't be, and I'd get a big crowd of students all around me. And it wouldn't be long before they'd pack up their table and leave. I didn't ask them to leave. I said, wait a minute, you know, you've got the truth. Well, you would be running away. Come, come back. And then I'd just go over to the Mormon table. Or go over to the Muslim table and just start all over again. But anyway, uh, the college campuses are a real danger to young Christians on campus because they got all the wolves are out there yeah. trying to trying to grab them while they're young, right. and and uh, that's uh, that's another danger you brought up to anyone watching this video. If they're sending their kid off to college, yep. not only do the, does the college itself usually teach. Uh, Marxism 3.0, which is secularism and humanism and Darwinism, sure. which will brainwash your kids. But then you got all the cults sitting around on the campus and other world religions yeah. waiting to gobble them up that way. So the, the university experience is not a theologically good idea for anybody to send their kids to because it's just dangerous all the way around. Plus, it's a war zone. It is. And plus, so many people with college degrees at those kind of places, those secular universities, they end up selling pizza or something. They got a, I, in fact, one of my brother's best friends, he had a, a degree in, in physics. And uh, he spent the first four years after he got out of there selling pizzas <laughs> at a pizza place. You know, and so many college graduates, they, their degree doesn't do them any good. You know, they can't use it for anything. And I would say just send your kids to a trade school where they maybe get a, a, a setup where they get a retirement plan. And there's a demand for those kind of trade jobs that help people that would be more than maybe a sociology degree and something like that. But anyway, that's just a little advice on the side. I'm not really trying to do a college education course here. But uh, anyway, from what you said, I, I've seen it all from my own college experience. And so I was able to leave that group and eventually end up at a good Bible-believing church, which is your, the one you pastor now, Day Spring Fellowship. Uh, so let's get back to your testimony as you were about to pick it up before we went to Naveen in his his clip. So right now you're at the stage where you know something's terribly wrong. Uh, your Christian friend has helped you with those passages that he quoted to you. So what happens next? Tell us, as uh, the famous radio guy said, uh, the rest of the story. Go ahead. Yeah. So I wish I could I wish I could tell the story about how I bravely uh confronted all of uh, the people inside this cult and preached the gospel to them. Uh, but I didn't do any of that. I just uh, withdrew from them. And as they tried to reach out and to contact me, I just would have no contact uh, with them. I was convinced uh, that uh, even though I, I didn't have a whole lot of knowledge at the time, uh, I had enough discernment uh, to know that they were not a true church, that they were not yeah. uh, following the true gospel. Yeah. And so I withdrew uh, completely from them, uh, ended up uh, just uh, getting involved in uh, a regular uh, Bible-believing church and uh, continuing to 
to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Kind of put them in my rear view mirror and didn't think much <laughs> about them until uh, until years later. Uh, this young man, Naveen Swami, uh, comes and I have the privilege of baptizing him, hearing his testimony, which uh, we've heard is just astounding in how God uh, really redeemed him uh, out of uh, the, the grips of that cult that had really uh, taken hold of him in a profound way. And uh, he, you know, he continues to uh, uh, have to root out wrong thinking in his mind left over right. from from those days. Yeah, now it's interesting because uh, years later, I after I really found my way in counter cult evangelism after years of study and everything I you know I've been doing, yeah. I would go out regularly to UT campus, and there's another cult group out there called the local church. And when you you triggered my memory on this again, what we've been doing in video after video, that I wasn't thinking of bringing up, but now I said oh, I ought to use that. Uh, so. The local churches out there, and like the International Church of Christ, they believe there's only one church for one area, one city. Yeah, right. Uh, so, so I'm out there talking to them and everything like that, and they invited me to their church. And I thought, oh, I think I'll do it. I can preach to all of them at once. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. I showed up at their meeting, yeah. and there must have been 100 people there. And I had the floor, and I preached the gospel of those guys. Because in you, from what you said, I didn't go there and preach that. You know, that's what made yeah. me think. Oh, I did that with another cult. So, uh, but uh, and by God's grace, I was able to lead only three or four of them out of there, and they really got mad. That 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 particular cult, they like to sue people, and I thought they might sue me uh, because they'd done it to some other counter cult groups for calling yeah, them a yeah. cult, you know, but I went ahead and I had the paperwork and I did all this stuff. And they even came and found me at my job that I had back then. I've always had to work secular jobs. And yeah. uh, I, I said, no, I can't, I can't make a living being a, I'm not called to be a pastor. See, that's why I have great respect for you. I mean, you have to really be special in God's eyes to have a call like that. Cause I know I couldn't handle it. I don't want to be dealing with everybody's problems and holding hands at hospitals and doing, although I have done funerals and been asked to do weddings also, but I, I turned down the weddings because usually uh, the people that want me to marry them because they think I'm some kind of preacher or something like that, uh, they're not Christians anyway, and I don't want to be part of that. But uh, I just said, go to the local Justice of the Peace. But uh, I did do a, a, a funeral, and so I felt like that if I'm the only one they can go to, the person's dead. And I can at least preach the gospel to the yeah. at the funeral. So that's what I did. And uh, uh, but anyway, so I'm uh, I came to the local church, and when they were losing members because of me, they never should have let me go there. <laughs> uh, they they threatened me with lawsuits, but then uh, they even followed me to a secular job I had. I remember I was working at this. Uh, I was a before I got the main job I have now that works as night, that's where I listen to you on sermon audio. You know what I'm talking about. I think I don't. I don't think I'll mention where I've been working on. In fact, I just had my 37th year anniversary working nights. Wow! At that, that's 1985 when I started there, and that's when you got saved. 
That's right. That's when I got saved, 37 years ago. I did the numbers. I did the numbers. You mentioned 87 was two years. Uh, So you're saved that year, and I start doing this ministry on cable access TV, and I got that night job. And everything's still pretty much the same, except I don't do cable access TV because there's not enough outreach with that. Where where the action is where we are now, YouTube, international. So so all that stayed the same. So... uh, Anyway, uh, they come at that job I had before. I still remember they, I'm in the freezer at this uh, night, this day job I had at that time. Well, it was pretty much afternoon to night job. Uh, I'm in the freezer because I was a supervisor of a deli bakery at a Tom Thumb grocery store. <laughs> you see, here I am with a college degree, right? And that's where I'm working. <laughs> that's why I said something like I said before. Uh, but, uh, Anyway, I'm in there, I'm standing on a ladder, and I still remember, like it was yesterday, these local church guys, like three of their hot shots from their thing come in there. And instead of a lawsuit, they start apologizing to me about all the threats and everything else like this, because apparently the one members that were leaving them, that they were trying to almost forcibly stay in there. Didn't want to be with them anymore. And anyway, they, they came in there while I'm standing at the top in the freezer and I'm cold. And I've got uh, these frozen packages in my hand. And I'm looking down at them and they apologize. Said, well, you don't have to, no more threats from us. And they, they took off, you know. Wow. And, uh, and in fact, I have uh, some of this. I have a video and people at home are looking at it right now. A video I did on the local church. And so anyone that wants more information about that cult group, uh, you, you can watch that. And then uh, dealing with the other cult I almost joined, which is the Oneness Pentecostals, we have a whole playlist on our YouTube channel about the Oneness Pentecostals and the deniers of the Trinity that'll deal with them. We've got debates with them. We've got all kinds of church history uh, against them. There is the doctrine of the Trinity long before the Council of Nicaea, no matter what the Jehovah's Witnesses say. By the way, we got a we got a whole playlist on them, too. So uh, that's just for, remember, my degrees in advertising from UT, so I'm going to advertise as much yeah. as I can when I get the opportunity. So our other viewers, if you want to check into those those groups and cults, you, the videos are all there on our, our homepage on our YouTube channel. Okay, so uh, what I want to do then, Pastor, since we, uh, Naveen's, uh, Experience is much deeper than yours. With yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, so the Lord was gracious to you to get you out of there when he did. Of course, we know sovereignly God's uh, on, you know, in control of all our circumstances and how long someone's in this or that or the other. Yeah. And obviously, uh, you, uh, just like me, in, 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 in the circumstance with uh, this uh, oneness Pentecostal, world of Pentecost I almost joined, uh, all I did once I realized these guys, I just never showed up again. I just, yeah. Yeah. you know, I was, it was scheduled and then they yeah. never saw or heard from me ever right. again. You know, the only thing they know is I'm suddenly doing those call in television shows we used to do for cable access television, yeah. talking about that, uh, that, and I would mention the world of Pentecost to the, we had 400,000, uh, households at that time when we we're doing those live call in TV shows called, yeah. uh, uh, in defense of the faith. Uh, so that's about how long they had to wait till they found out that I wasn't coming back. <laughs> but in the meantime, I was doing all the research, the study. The, so that would never happen to me again. I started to really get my 
uh, learned as a new Christian, I need to get my doctrine down good before I fall into any traps like that. Yep. So that was a good experience for me to learn early, yep. sort of like you did early, so you don't fall into that trap again. Yep. So let's uh, let's talk about the trap here for a minute with this International Church of Christ. Now, uh, I've got a sheet of paper here. People are looking at it at home. You can't see it, but when we get the video done, it'll be right up there. So, so as I read these, you can uh, make any brief comments. Uh, you speaking as a pastor sure. can can respond to these these doctrines. At first, these first doctrines are what the Church of Christ is actually the International Church of Christ is actually good on. But you can make any comments as you want. But then I'm going to start talking about all the aberrant doctrines and practices. Yep. And then you can make a lot more comments on that. Because yep. if they're giving something that's true, then there's not much. If we're not going to argue with it, then there's not much to worry about on those. Right. But they do believe that the Trinity is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is that what you would go along with? Yeah, they do. They it? believe that. And I would just say, you know, so do the Roman Catholics and so does the devil who trembles. Uh, and so it doesn't. <laughs> Good uh, comments. I like that one. Yeah. yeah, but see, I often tell people that when they're trying to validate, let's say, Roman Catholicism, I say, but they believe in the Trinity. Yeah. I say, so what? But they got a wrong gospel. I right. have a video called uh, The Essentials of the Biblical Faith. The Essentials. Yeah. And the Trinity is one of them. Yeah. You know, but there's like, I list like 12 of them on my yeah. list in that yeah. video. And it's getting high rank ratings from the YouTube audience. Uh, but... Uh, you can be a, you can be right on eleven of those twelve, right? Right. You can be right on eleven of those twelve, but if you're wrong on one essential, what does that do to you? On Roman Catholicism, because I'm always getting these arguments from these people. They're they're right on this, that, the other, blah blah blah. We'll see some more here in a minute. Yeah. Uh, but if you're wrong on the gospel, yeah, it makes your overall everything? it makes your overall faith sub Christian. Exactly. It destroys the whole, yeah. if you destroy the gospel That's and you right. have the wrong gospel, That's right. then it doesn't matter if you believe in the Trinity. It, does, right. it, it doesn't matter if you believe in one God. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter if Jesus is God in the flesh, right? I mean, That's right. if you're wrong there, the whole thing explodes. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to be right on every essential. Every, but anyway, yeah, check out that video. Essential. Yeah, check out that video I've got on that subject. So uh, here we go. They're right on the deity of Christ. Yep. That's an essential. Okay. They're right on the deity of the Holy Spirit. Yes, they are. That's, a, that's an essential. Okay. They're right on the physical resurrection of Christ. They are on that too. Yeah. The Bible is the inspired word of God and the ultimate is a, sor a source of authority. They twist They're it right. for, their, for their ends. They twist it, but they do, but they do claim that it's the word of God. Exactly. They make that old uh, Second Peter chapter three verse sixteen uh, mistake, twisting the word of God to their own destruction. That's right. Uh, as Peter talked about when he was referencing Paul's writings. Okay, uh, they say baptism is for adults only. Now, uh, I think I think let's say a teenager or something. Who's old enough to really understand what I don't count infants. I don't, I, I, I've never agreed with infant. Right. I was, 
born I was baptized as infant in the Lutheran church. Yeah. But I you know, I'm only a, a what a, a month old something like that. I don't remember anything about it. I didn't right. know anything. So I can't count an infant baptism at all yeah. from what I know of the scripture. So uh, but I do think you know, I think what did Spurgeon say? He got do you remember this uh what year he got Saved at an early age. Seemed like he was like eight or nine, somewhere he 10 did. years old. Yeah, the earliest uh, conversion I've ever read about uh, comes from Jonathan Edwards' account of the Great Awakening. Uh, there was a young girl named Phoebe Bartlett who, uh-huh. in, and you know, Edwards, he was very careful to uh, determine what was a true conversion and what was a false conversion because there were many false right, conversions right, right. in the midst yes, of that yes. revival. Uh, and this one was a true conversion of a four-year-old girl named Phoebe Bartlett, four years, four years old. old, who had the yeah. fruit of the Spirit, uh, a completely changed life after uh, hearing and, the gospel and believing. The problem he, with that he, statement that they have about uh, baptism being for adults only uh, is they should say baptism is for believers only. Yeah, see, that's where I have the problem, because I yeah. think, because uh, I know Spurgeon, he hadn't even, I mean, he, I think it's 10 years or not. Anyone watching this can do an internet check and find out. I know he's young. And when they say adults only, I mean, that's ridiculous because you're thinking adults 18 or something like that. That's right. Children, children can believe and be converted as well. Yeah. I know John the Baptist was saved really young. (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) Was that Luke chapter one, verse 15? You rejoice in the womb. But anyway, then there is a literal hell. They believe that. Yes, they do. Satan is a a literal fallen angel. They believe that. They believe that. Okay. So now here's where I'd like you to make more uh, specific. But the beauty of this is to show that a cult can have a lot of right stuff. Yes. The devil's not going to be successful if it's so false. I mean, he he gets away with that on some things. That's right. That's right. uh, The more discerning people. as As a new Christian, what they were teaching and preaching at first just appeared to be Christianity to me. Yeah. Yeah. So see, so this cult was perfect for what the devil had lined up for you. That's because right. <laughs> that's right. cause something so ridiculously false, like Hare Krishna. Let's say. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that wasn't going to fool you. That wasn't going to so fool you, me. <laughs> so the cults are there uh, by the devil and his minions to uh, fake out the other people. That uh, it's got enough Christian ease in it or Bible talk that's where right. it can suck them in. You see. Yeah. So uh, with that said, and that's what the value of this is to let people that are watching this video know that uh, okay, so that's the value of why they do that. They they have something that sounds good, that's truth. You mix, but you put in enough poison with yep. that truth. Yeah. So they so they're still damned. So here we go with some aberrant doctrines of the International Church of Christ. Mm-hmm. Baptism by immersion is essential for salvation. Yeah. So what do you have to say about that? You can take your time on it if you want, because yeah. this is a biggie. Uh, yeah, it is. And this, and this goes with uh, Church of uh, Roman Catholicism and other groups. Uh, that goes with the Oneness Pentecostals, yeah. uh, which I almost joined. Uh, yeah. So. Go ahead on any explanation or a refutation you want of this first Absolutely. belief. So I think that, uh, I mean, the first thing I can say there is that I certainly felt the pressure 
that was coming from that doctrine. Even though they, mm-hmm. they never came out and said to me, uh, we believe that baptism is essential for salvation. They were telling me, you need to get baptized in our church. Uh, and it, mm-hmm. it was that doctrine that was clearly driving the pressure on me to get baptized in their church. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, obviously, that goes uh, plainly against Scripture. Scripture says that mm-hmm. we're saved by grace alone. And not by works of the law, not by doing anything, are we saved? Are you saying? Are you talking about justification by faith? Yeah, justification faith by faith alone in Christ alone. <laughs> uh, and uh, and you know that's the glorious truth of the gospel. And uh, yeah. in Romans uh, four, it says that uh, it's not for the one who works, right? It's not counted yeah. as wages. It's a free yeah. gift that we receive uh, fr- from God. And so that that really flies in the face of uh, of the gospel of jesus christ i think one good place you could look is in the book of acts with the uh, conversion of uh, cornelius's household the gentiles uh what happens they uh believe the gospel the holy spirit falls upon them and they're regenerated and the apostles say uh who can withhold water you know from from these who have received the spirit just as we have so they've already been regenerated received the holy spirit and been saved that's actually 10 Acts yeah, chapter Acts 10. chapter 10. Now, uh, to buttress what you're saying here, you know, I, I knew this is justification by faith alone is a big deal because uh, just for the, I'm not going to read all these verses, but uh, I'm putting it up on the screen so the people at home can see all this. So yeah. they're not seeing Pastor Greg and me, they're seeing all these verses on justification by faith alone. And uh, we, we, the number one on here, although you wouldn't guess it, but here's John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So that's a belief on him. But then we go on, and you were mentioning Romans chapter 3.22. Even in the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. But as you go through all this, being just Romans three twenty four, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, uh, Romans three twenty six. You know Romans really is a refutation for baptism is how you get saved. <laughs> uh, but we go through all this this path, and I'm not going to read all this because it'll take up too much time. And I don't read all that good anyway, but uh, uh, I'm going to, if you, the viewers at home, you can freeze frame it on your screen and uh, just stop the video. Just hit the pause button and just look up and down all these verses. And then after that, I'm going to put the second page here of more verses out of Galatians 3.14 and Galatians 3.22, Galatians 3.24, Ephesians 1.13, and so forth. Uh and just do a little Bible study right here on YouTube. Just <laughs> pause it, look at the screen, and investigate these verses. And uh, that'll that'll prove to you that you don't need to be water baptized in order to be saved. Now, to come back to what you were saying about all this, uh, there's uh, the one you just pointed out. Now, what people are seeing on their screen now is right out of our Church of Christ newsletter. It, uh, you don't have a copy of that, but uh, uh, here's what the people at home are looking at. Questions to consider concerning baptism. This article is written by our, my, my co-director, 
uh, Steve Morrison, who's the director of research for Christian Answers, and it's on the subject of baptism. And he he mentions the very passages you mentioned, uh, Acts 10, 45 through 48, water baptism essential to be saved is a question mark. Four points to consider. They spoke in tongues prior to being baptized, baptism with water prior to that. They're speaking in tongues is a sign, but not the only sign. First Corinthians 12, 1 through 13, of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Three, being filled with the Holy Spirit is only for those who are born again. Four, those who are born again are saved. So they were born again prior to being baptized with water. See the discussion on Acts twenty two sixteen for a second example of being saved prior to water baptism. Uh, and also the next question. In Acts 10, 45-28, since this passage was a very special occurrence, does that negate using this passage to show water baptism is not essential to salvation? No. That this passage does describe an important transition for the church, but does not disqualify us from understanding all its teachings. Three points to consider. One, Gentiles could be filled with the Holy Spirit and thus be saved prior to baptism at this time. This was not impossible for God to do and still be true to his word. Two, thus it is possible for people to be saved prior to baptism at other times without God breaking his word. Three, if your interpretation of the Bible requires that God cannot be true to his word, if anyone after Christ is saved prior to being baptized, perhaps it would be your interpretation, not God's word, that is wrong. Okay, and so there's much more I could read here. I'm not going to read it all because, once again, it's just too much information. But it's good reputation for uh, baptism is going to save you. You're not saved if you, you haven't been water baptized, especially by them. And uh, when you're, so freeze frame, freeze frame your screen to read the rest of the article and get those other biblical references. But now, uh, coming back from that, uh, you made a, you made a great point, uh, brother in the fact that when they told you you got to be water baptism particularly you got to be water, water baptized especially by them and you, if you're a born again believer and you're already filled with the holy spirit you automatically know that's not true that's right, that's right. <laughs> see but a person who a person who has not been born again that might work as an argument yeah. they might be able to talk you into that cuz you you have not been born again. Yeah. You don't have the Spirit. Yeah. And you might believe it because right. you don't have the discernment of the Spirit. Yeah. Uh, you don't have that gift, the gifts of the Spirit, like they're mentioned in 1 yeah. Corinthians chapter 12 and also Romans chapter 7. Or is it? No, it's Romans chapter 12, I believe. It's got more gifts of the Spirit. Uh, but uh, I've always felt like, of all the gifts of the Spirit, the Lord gave me discernment. You know? Yeah. Uh, and, and I can hear stuff, and the red flags are flying all over the place. And uh, and it can be on all kinds of things. But part of that comes from just knowing the Word of God so well. That's right. And, and, and when you know the Word of God. But see, back then, you and me were pretty new in the Christian faith. 
Me, right. when I was about to join that church, I'd only been saved maybe two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you have been saved two years. Yep. So, but but you were only with them for two weeks. Bill, you say, I'm out of this. Get me out of here. So uh, the danger is you're not going to fall into some of these cults, but see, the 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 uh, like the oneness Pentecostals are more sinister because they're already talking about the spirit, and yeah. they can they can be more dangerous to someone who, especially these charismatic Christians that are out there and these yeah. Pentecostal Christians, because they they may be more in danger of falling into that trap. But suffice it to say, the devil's got a good trap for almost anybody for anything. Yeah. That's right. It's all out there for anyone to just fall fall into it and they're going to get sucked in unless the Lord saves them from themselves and saves them out of the traps. And And that's all, it's all under the umbrella of the providence of God. So even in my situation, I can see, you know, God put me through the pain of being involved and tempted by this cult in order Mm -hmm. later in life to be able to minister to a Amen. member of my church who had come, who Amen. was still wrestling through and, and had been harmed by yeah. that same cult. Yeah. Cause what I found so much, cause I, by the grace of God, I've led literally hundreds, if not thousands of people out of Jehovah's witnesses. That was my main focus during the yeah. early stages of my ministry. And of course I've got a, a whole playlist on that and it, and those videos and everything are still helping people get out of Jehovah's witnesses. I had two people by the way that, Send me comments off these videos on Jehovah's Witnesses. Two of them said they've been in it for fifty years. Yeah, fifty years in the jo- and watching some of the stuff I put in there because I've got Jehovah's Witness books and material that go back over a hundred years. Wow! And I'm showing them all these false prophecies and all this yeah. stuff. But the, like I've told you before, the problem is you can lead people out of false religions and cults and many Mormons, Seventh Day Adventists, whatever it is. I, I've been there, done that, but uh, it's. I don't give any credit myself because the only one that's really going to get saved is by the power of God. Yeah, because because right. most of the time when you can you can prove to a natural man that a religion is false. Yeah, you can actually do that with evidence and facts and everything. But he's still a natural man. He's not born again. Yeah, and what happens with a lot of these people, like for instance, I led one man out of Islam. Through YouTube, he was watching our video on, uh, and we were having a debate in the YouTube, a comment section under our video called uh, uh, "Satan in Your Nose" and other teachings by the Prophet Muhammad. Yeah, anyone can watch that right now. I'll put it up on the screen. People can see that video if they want to check it out. But I actually have a YouTube con unless he deleted it. He might have deleted it. You never know because these people can put comments, but then later go back and delete it. But I actually let a man. Out of Islam, in our uh, YouTube comment section debate, and then uh, years later, I didn't know that at the time he wasn't given any ground, but I was giving him all the stuff to show this is Islam, and you know, look at all these fallacies. Uh, but then years later, he sent me a comment and said he had given up Islam, yeah. and he was surprised I was still a Christian because what he had done is he'd become an atheist. Yeah, and that's yeah. what a lot of these people do when you lead them out of a false religion. Right, they become atheists because they're they've been burned by religion. That's they've right. They've been burned by it, that's and right. so they just become atheists or agnostics. 
and yeah. they never join another church or anything like that. So yeah. as an apologist, I realize it's the sovereignty of God and the grace of God on people yeah. that gets them to Christ. That's it's right. not, you can prove this religion wrong. That's not the gospel. That's, That's right. not the gospel. You, right. can, you can prove this religion's wrong, but it's yep. the gospel of Christ and the That's spirit. That's the power of God for salvation to all Amen. who believe. Amen. So all I'm saying is you can lead all these people out, but that doesn't mean they're, they're going to be saved. And, That's right. You know, one time I led a whole family out of Mormonism. It's like, and there was a big family. It's like 14 of them. Yeah. And uh, got them all out of Mormonism. But that didn't mean I I saved them yeah. eternally. I mean, I gave them the gospel. I gave them tracts, but that's the yeah. work of the Holy Spirit. We yeah. All we can do is preach the word and lead the rest of the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't yeah. have that control. Only right. God does. So anyway, I uh, wanted to get all this in while we could, and I want to go back and have you. Well, you know, a lot of this list I have here yeah. ties in, and we've kind of covered that to a great extent, but I'll cover anything else that you might want to comment on. Okay. A lot of it's baptism. Point two, baptism uh, must be as a true disciple, in quotation marks, or it is not valid. So your baptism, you have to be a disciple, which you were almost, you had two guys already discipling you. Yeah, but you yeah. weren't you weren't considered a disciple yet, right? Is that yeah. right? Or yeah, or so did their you... their uh, their definition of disciple is what's wrong there? Because we would agree, you and I would agree. You do have to be a disciple in order to be saved, in order to be baptized. Uh, but what we mean by disciple is just a Christian, someone who's following Jesus. Uh, and what they mean by disciple is someone who has subscribed to their beliefs and has uh, officially you know, joined with uh, their church, which at that point I had not. Okay, so what you're telling me is, let's say... Uh, of course, it would never would happen because God providentially decided you weren't going to go that route. But let's just say yeah. for a hypothetical that you went ahead and went to some more of these discipling sessions with them. Yeah. And you uh, uh, you would have to, what would qualify you then as a real yeah. International Church of Christ disciple so you could get baptized? Right. You just That's have a to stand question. there. And, or we're only in the beat. We don't yeah. Naveen know this. <laughs> yeah, Naveen, Naveen would definitely know it. My understanding of that is that I would have had to have agreed with these uh, disciplers, agree with the yes. men that you're right. I've never been saved. Uh, I need to be. Uh, I won't be until I get baptized in your church, and I'm going to submit to everything you're telling me. Uh, That's at what that I'm point, thinking. I think, then I'm just using logic here without actually knowing. I'll, uh, yeah. You know, Naveen, Naveen tells a real story. But I'm right. I'm I'm thinking that has to be the way it has to be because they're not going to baptize you unless That's you right. believe like them. Right. So that logic itself tells you that. Okay, number three, baptism must be performed in the International Church of Christ to be valid. So that's right. I think that we kind of covered that. Okay, four, being a disciple is necessary to be a Christian. And of course, you just kind of covered the word and how it, what it means yeah. in Christianity and yeah. what it would mean for them. Yeah, if you, so, if, you, if you use the word rightly, then that statement is true. But if you use it according to their definition, then that is heresy. Right, right. Okay, so the next point here, number five, there should only be one church in each city or town. We haven't yeah, really that's addressed ridiculous. that issue yet. 
I think uh, there's our first address. The ridiculous. I like that. I think that's accurate. I think that's accurate. I think that's why that's. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that that probably goes back to their restorationist roots, uh, right? Part of that restoration movement is to try to uh, emulate uh, the first century church, the earliest uh, church, which is a fallacy. Right. We we look to the New Testament and we see so many problems. You don't want to be Galatia that's flirting with legalistic heresy. You don't you don't want to be the church of Thessalonica. That's uh, eschatology is so bad that they've slidden into the heresy (laughs) that Jesus has already returned again. Or you don't want to be the church in Corinth that is celebrating immorality and having divisions mm-hmm. within the church. So there's no perfect, you know, first century church to go back and try to emulate. What we're to do is to obey the commandments of Jesus Christ and his word to us. And he's given us very, very clear commands. Uh, establishing only one church uh, per city is not one of those commands. And if you think about it just logically, I mean, the largest city in the world right now is Tokyo, 37 million people in that city. What if a revival breaks out and 60% of the city becomes Christian? Are you going to have this big mega, mega church with millions and millions of people? I mean, no pastor can can uh, shepherd uh, faithfully that many right. uh, people. So the idea of one church per city uh, is, uh, is a fallacy. Uh, we do see uh, in the early church that there were. Uh, but we know why. It was because the church was just getting off the ground. It was just growing. There was just one church in Jerusalem, and there was one in Galatia, and one in Thessalonica. But then it it spread from there, and more churches were planted as uh, as as the gospel went to the ends of the earth, and as Christianity spread and grew. Uh, so that's just uh, it's a ridiculous uh, concept. So are you telling me from what you just said that Dayspring Fellowship is? Not the only is not the only true Christian church in the whole city of Austin. That's right. I mean, we have fellowship. <laughs> we have fellowship with churches all over Austin that are, uh, you know, just as um, valid and beloved by Jesus Christ as as we yeah. are. Uh, healthy yeah. churches that uh, we pray for, uh, we help, we uh, we partner with uh, to to try to uh, spread the gospel here in Austin. I always find it fascinating too, like in our church bulletins and things. Uh, we're always and we're always talking about another church or uh, some pastor uh, and what they got going on over there, and we would yeah. be interested in going and checking that out or have another pastor come in as a guest preacher yeah. from his church. And then we're always praying for other churches yeah. and their pastors and stuff. So uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We're not so, we're not in competition uh, with. Uh, that's what the cults do. The cults are in competition. The true churches are not competing with each other. They're partnering together for the kingdom. That's right. That's right. So that's why I can sit at my night job and listen to five or six sermons by different preachers from different centuries, from different churches. You yeah. know, so so I can I can listen to, to C. H. Spurgeon over here at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Uh, church that he had there in London uh, yeah, that's right. in 1878, whatever. And then I can go on sermon audio and listen to R.C. Sproul yeah. at his Orlando uh, Presbyterian Church. That's preaching right. Preaching something 10 years ago. Yeah. Or I can go over to Martin uh, Lloyd-Jones 
uh-huh. back over in England again. I can go anywhere. I like to listen to John MacArthur now and then. Yeah. Uh, over in California. I don't know why he stays in California. That's a common estate, <laughs> but he, he stays there and he, 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 he toughs it out. He's a, he's a real he trooper over there. Uh, yeah, but, and that, uh, that's a testimony to just the beauty of the true gospel uh, is that, you know, from all these different types of people in different types of places, even in different time periods within church history, the same gospel and and true churches that uh, that God uh, is is building His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. You know, another cool thing for me is with sermon audio because they give me sermon audio stats for our, our 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 broadcaster channel there for Christian Answers and also on YouTube Analytics is that I'm always contacted by pastors around the world from different countries. Yeah. And I don't know how many, and on Facebook too, I don't know how many pastors, particularly from India, have begged me to come over there and preach at their churches and stuff yeah. like that, you know. But I always have to beg off because, you know, I've got two handy, I've got two two special needs children uh, right. that I have to care for, that the Lord's given me sovereignly, and uh, I've been taking care of them, and that's a responsibility. And of course, my wife, she's been having a lot of uh, physical issues. So I, I often tell uh, some of my closest friends and relatives i say well i run a daycare here you know for my family <laughs> i got my two special needs kids and then my wife who's got a lot of physical uh ailments but we put it all under the the the, the covering of god yep. and so i just deal with what i have to deal with and but i i can't leave my family to 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 you know, go across here. Although it might be fun. Although I've had a lot of Muslims too invite me over to their Muslims country. Yeah. Uh, but then I might not last long because I've already had a lot of death threats from the Muslims. <laughs> I've even had the FBI call me a couple of times because of all the and they, they they'll give me a death threat right on YouTube. That's why they were able to find out about it, you know because they I don't think I'm appreciated. You know, <laughs> you you know sometimes when you're reading the Bible you can almost think you get killed or imprisoned right. uh, in some of these countries from preaching yeah. the gospel. Uh, but it just comes with the territory, you know. Uh, and But that just shows that there's men of God all around the world. Yeah. And we're all, in the, as you stated before, the universal church. Right. And we don't have to be in this specific individual international church of Christ, yeah, even though they right. use the word international. So yeah. anyway, moving on. We uh, got a few more here on this list, and we'll probably yep. wrap it up from here. Uh, let's see. Uh, number six, the International Church of Christ is the true, the true remnant of God's people as the true church. So they're the remnant church on the face of the earth, and I think yeah. we just repeated that from what we just said. That's right. Ago. Yeah, isn't so that, that just a classic? Uh characteristic of a cult you think of uh jehovah's witnesses would say the same thing i mean this is uh exactly they do classic cult behavior now now what's interesting here i can't resist throwing this in that'll be more editing for my video guy me but we're going to edit this in just this moment on this remnant thing because i went uh because it was so close and this is uh a few years back uh the seventh day adventists were having their international convention in san antonio Yes. And me being who I am, and of course I've been to Jehovah's Witness conventions and their big gatherings like in Houston and yep. anything that's kind of close enough to drive to, I, I, I've i gone and done this Mormon, same thing, uh, 
I've been to the Muslim mosque here in town at the University of Texas. Uh, yeah. uh, just you name it. I've done a Christian science reading rooms. I've been in there, all, all this stuff. But anyway, I, I couldn't resist, right? So me and my cameraman went to that big convention. I've got a whole video. It's got hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube yeah. uh, on what's going on in there. Because when you talk to the average Seventh-day Adventist, they don't, they don't want to admit to, when you're just on the street or something, they don't want to admit to uh, all the things they believe, like Ellen G. White is their prophetess and stuff like that. Right. anyway... By going to their convention, I blew the cover off all that. I mean, they got statues of her, pictures everywhere, uh, yeah. all that stuff. And uh, but I came up to their their uh, publication uh, uh, exhibit because I went to their exhibit hall first. And uh, you know, there's anyway, gotta watch the video to see what I'm talking about. But I'm gonna play this clip right in here of me going up to their remnant bookstore, the remnant. Uh, and I go up and interview them, and you're going to see this guy doing backflips, trying to get out of admitting what the word remnant means. Because, of course, they believe they're the only ones, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I'm trying to nicely, without blowing, I didn't want to have, I had to be careful when I was there because I didn't want to get thrown out before we were through doing the video. I still had more to do. So I had to be careful. I couldn't just say outright, and refute him on the spot for the scooter because they would have thrown me out. So I had to be careful. But just watch this guy do backflips, trying to get away from what what that remnant actually means because I knew what it meant. That, yeah. and, but we got it all on tape, and so the folks at home can see how a cult always thinks it's the only true church, That's and right. they're the remnant, right? That's right. And the Bible's talking about them. And, you know, uh, it's interesting in our Jehovah's Witness stuff, uh, uh Charles Taze Russell, who started the Seventh-day, uh, no, he started the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, yeah. He was saying in his books, these hundred-year-old books I've got of his, he was using that word remnant for them. Yeah, you know the same thing. Yeah, uh, right, right. And you, you get it. So anyway, here we go. Check out that. Just had a quick question about the title of your your company, Remnant Publications. What does that What does that mean? Is that all the Christians are the remnant in the world? Because not everybody's a Christian. There's a lot of Muslims. There's a lot of Buddhists. What does remnant mean? <laughs> well, we thought it was a great name. Okay. We thought it was a good name. So, it, I mean, it just means we have, you know, it's just like, it means it's a good name. It's a, we're not trying to be, be, you know, put down anybody or put up anybody. We're just, uh, I think it's a great name we have. Um, good books that are Bible-based Christian books. Oh, okay. So remnant just remnant just means it can be any Christian. Like if I was a Jehovah's Witness, I would be part of that remnant. Is that? I mean, I'm just curious. Well, we're just we just have the remnant. It's remnant as a name. We're not we're not advocating that we're uh -huh. um, you know something different than someone else. We're just it's just remnant publication. Oh, it's just the name y'all chose. It's a name. Okay. It's a chosen name for for Bible-based books. Okay. Which obviously. You know, that, that's all. It doesn't have anything to do with Seventh Day Adventism. Remnant, or I was well, we believe. You know, we're Seventh Day Adventists. Yeah. Okay. So, but, do you think they would be part of that remnant, or are they just part of the general, general whatever calls itself Christianity? We think. But again, I, I mean, you're asking about for the name. Yeah, yeah. The remnant. I was just curious about the word remnant. You know. Uh, Did you understand? Yes, it okay. means part of, well, like remnant. a section of, like, well, you know. Remnant means the beginning, uh -huh. you know, the remnant, like the remnant of a, 
carpet would be the beginning of the roll. Whatever's remaining, something like, you know, if you have a, a rock, if part of it breaks off and there's a little part of it, that could be a remnant of, of the big rock. So that little break-off rock would just be the remnant, whereas the rest of that rock wouldn't be part of that remnant. The remnant is well, different. the remnant was part of the rock. Yeah, yeah. So it used to be part. Okay. Right. So, so it's, not, it's not as separated. It's okay. Part I was just curious because I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm remnant publications. You know, it's an interesting name. Well, Pastor, there I was among tens of thousands of Seventh-day Adventists. And, uh, and I, I, you know, I, I get a better response from a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon. A lot of times they'll just tell me uh, something that's kind of outlandish and shocking, but they don't care. But here the PR was... The prime importance. Let's, oh, well, we can't act, you know. Anyway, the, the backflipping, everyone got to see that. And so uh, some of these cults will just be in your face and tell you. And other ones, man, they're trying to dodge those bullets. They don't want you to really know until you you get in there. And, right. and they'll teach you better. Like you know, basic Mormon evangelism is very simple. They try to get you in and don't tell you any of the outlandish doctrines. They believe like there's many gods and yeah. uh, Adam had lots of celestial wives and just Eve was just one of them. And, yeah, yeah. you know, she had, you know, they, there was the devil was the brother of, of Jesus and all this stuff, you know, but they, because they're mainly going after people that are already in denominational churches. Yeah. Yeah. That's, right. and that's who they're trying to bring into the Mormon church. Yeah. And so, they're careful on what they tell you at first, and they figure they can indoctrinate you later after yeah. that. And you've been mentioning Naveen and how when they have you in there for a length of time, you can really get your, your brain screwed up That's right. with these, these phony doctrines, and it yeah. can affect you for years to come. So yeah. anyway, let's get back to this list. Uh, number seven here, only International Church of Christ baptized members are saved. Yeah, and so clearly that, that's that's false, and that's very very cult like. I remember years ago hearing uh, D. James Kennedy. Remember uh, D. James Kennedy? Oh, of course, of course. Evangelism explosion. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he yeah. was he was telling the story about having gathered uh, a bunch of people from a bunch of different backgrounds and denominations in a room, and uh, he was going through his evangelism explosion uh, uh, material with them, and uh, asked each one of them. Uh, if you were to die tonight and the Lord was to say to you, uh, why should I let you into my heaven? What would be your yeah, answer? Yeah. And right. uh, he said there were Methodists and Anglicans and Lutherans and Baptists and non-denominations, uh, all kinds of people, one after the other said something like, uh, because Jesus died for my sins, because mm -hmm. uh, I have no hope but Jesus Christ, because I believed uh, Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And then they got to a Roman Catholic woman who said, because I'm good enough. And she was just so perplexed that all these people from all these different supposed backgrounds all had the same gospel answer. 
And right. I think that, that you know, if you were to ask an a International Church of Christ member, they would say, because I was baptized into the International Church of Christ. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, you just triggered my brain on something else I hadn't thought of in decades. Uh, back in the early 80s when I worked that other secular job to support my family. Because, you know, you're worse than an infidel if you don't support your family, mm. as the scripture says. So I always looked at it like, well, I'm going to have to just get these secular jobs because if I try to preach the truth of God, they're going to hang me before I can even support my family. <laughs> uh, so I said, I'll do it the other way, because uh, J. Vernon McGee, who I like to listen to on the radio, he said he did more for Christ after he retired than he ever did before he retired. Because what he did, he once he retired from running that church, he then got into his radio ministry yeah, and yeah. was able to reach so many more people. And I look at it like the minute I can retire from this night job yeah. that I've got, right. I'll be able to do so much more. Right. I was telling uh, David Harold yesterday, yeah, uh, church on Sunday at, after church, I was telling him, I'm going to be a real pest for you guys around here after I retire from <laughs> my night job. Right? Right. <laughs> no, I'm getting close to that now, maybe about a year and a half, hopefully. Uh, so right. we'll see what happens. But, uh, Okay. Oh, and the other thing I was about to say, uh, back when I was in the early 80s, I was working this other job, and I had a statement, as you mentioned, a Roman Catholic lady. Uh, that's what triggered my memory. There was a yeah. Roman Catholic girl that worked while well, I was a supervisor at, the, at this deli bakery. She's one of the, the, the workers in there. Yeah. And I asked her one night, I, I said, uh, what are you? Uh, are you a Christian? And and she gave me the truest answer any Roman Catholic could have given me. And I've remembered it to this day. I can still remember me standing there and her standing there in her, her uh, grocery store outfit for the deli. Uh, and you know what she told me? Want to take a guess when I asked her if she was a Christian? No. What did she say? She said, no, I'm a Catholic. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's a, a true, true story. Response, right? Uh, 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 <laughs> I told she that to Richard. More than she knows. I told that the former uh, Roman Catholic priest for 22 years, Richard Bennett, and when yep. we did our videos together, uh, I, and he got a gig laugh out of that. He, <laughs> he got it, you know, that's right. So anyway, <laughs> I thought you'd get a kick out of that. Absolutely. And it's all because you mentioned the Roman Catholic say, oh, it's my, you know, I'm good enough or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now let's get down here to uh, number eight on this list of what doctrines the International Church of Christ believes sinless of disciples are often kept. So let's say you became a disciple, then there's people that are going to make a list of your sins yeah. so that I guess they can assist you in overcoming those sins. Did you ever get to that point? Maybe in your case, you never got to that point. Actually, they were already, routine. yeah, they were already making lists of my sins. My major sin was not, uh, daily converting people into the uh, International Church of Christ. That, wow. was the, that was the wow. one that they were really hammering me on. You know, you may have just taught me something because uh, I thought uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses were the worst at that. And now yeah. maybe these guys are worse than they are. Yeah, because they're very, very controlling. One of the things that uh, I would say about uh, the International Church of Christ is that confessionally, they believe in the Holy Spirit, but practically they don't believe in the Holy Spirit. They believe uh, not in being spirit controlled, but in being discipler controlled. You're, you're controlled by this assigned group of disciplers who are going to get right. into your business. 
and they're going right. to learn all of your sins and they're going to use it against you to control you and manipulate you. Right, right. And that, and what you just said triggered another thing in my mind. You know, so we got this news. I looked at some of it here on the Church of Christ, a lead article by Bob L. Ross, who's an expert, wrote many books on the Church of Christ. But yeah. uh, he had a thing here, and I'm going to put this up on the screen so the people at home, because what you said about the Holy Spirit, a lot of times we as Christians, as born-again Christians, we do our works for the Lord out of love for God, not that we're trying to earn any merits or Keep our salvation yeah. has nothing to do with it. We're already born again. We're already washing the blood of Christ. Yeah. But we have this incredible love for God that we want to do what God would have us to do because we love Him. That's right. Be holy as He is holy. That's we want to be like our Father, right? Yeah. We want to. We do it out of love. Yeah. These works, not that we're expecting we're going to get anything out of it. That's right. Uh, because we want to do that. It's yeah. a love connection with God. Yeah. Uh, but when you don't really know what the Holy Spirit is and you think you have to earn it somehow with yeah. God, well, then it's easy to see how the Church of Christ have an attitude like you just brought yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, very easy because they don't know what it is. Yeah. They have right. a supernatural indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They don't know that. So yeah. they got to make up for it by yeah. doing natural man's way of working out their salvation. Because that's the main difference between biblical Christianity and all these other false religions out here. Almost yeah. all the other false religions are works-based. Yeah. Earn, earning right. your salvation type. Yeah. And Christianity's not that. Yeah. Okay, so I, I wanted to, you know, I always found this, this list here to be very useful. And I'm putting it up on the screen for everybody to look at. And here it is. What man's works can and cannot do. Mm. One, works cannot. One, save. So works can't save you. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Two, judicially justify you. That's Romans chapter 3, 27 through 31. Romans 4, 2. Three, works can't forgive your sins. Romans chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Four, you can't receive the Spirit by works. But see, a lot of Campbellites think that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Galatians chapter 3, verse 2. 5. Elect. Roman uh, works can't get you elected. Romans 9, 6. 11. Ch chapter 11 in Romans 3, or 5 and 6. Sometimes I misread this because I need new glasses, brother. <laughs> uh, I've got to squint a little bit more to make sure I read it right. Okay, uh, 6. For, Works cannot fulfill the law. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. James chapter 2, verse 10. Works cannot give you a calling. Uh, 2 Timothy 1, 9. Uh, 8, uh, verse 8, I mean not verse 8, uh, point 8. Regeneration. Works cannot give you regeneration. That's John chapter 6, verse 63, Titus 3, 5. Number 9. You cannot obtain faith through works. Romans chapter 9, verse 32. And 10, works cannot keep you saved. <laughs> First Corinthians 3.15. I always think it's funny because people are working to keep themselves saved. You know, well, I got to go to purgatory so I can work my way out of purgatory and go to hell. Right. But the verse, the Bible always says that's not possible. Yeah. Uh, but then here's what works can do. 
And that's why I've always liked these two lists here. Uh, number one, works will manifest salvation. Matthew 7, 20. Matthew 12, 35. Uh, two, works demonstratively justified. James 2, 18. Because after all, when we think about this list, we think about the guys that say you don't have to repent. I mean, if you have no no repentance of sin yeah. and you still do the same old thing. I mean, so this list here shows when you have repented and you're, yeah. but you're not doing it to get yourself saved. You're doing it because you That's love right. God. Uh, because so, you're already saved and you're bearing amen. fruit. Amen. Amen. Uh, verse uh, number three, uh, re, works can uh, renounce sin. Matthew 5, 16, because you're showing it. Uh, four, walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16. Five, assurance of election. Uh, 1 Thess Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. Uh, number six, reveal delight in the law. Romans 7, 22. I always remember, I always think of uh, David and stuff. I delight in the law of the Lord. I, yeah. uh, we delight to do things that please God. Yeah. We love his law. We, yeah. Because just think about what the world would be like if there's no Ten Commandments and they don't apply. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's how important they are. Uh, okay, so uh, over here to number seven. Respond to calling. Works show you've responded to a calling from God. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Eight, express a new life. You become a new creation. Second Corinthians chapter five verse seventeen. Your works actually demonstrate you're a new creation in Christ, and, and, and your your works show that forth. Okay, number nine, profess faith. James two eighteen. I wouldn't be doing all the things I do if I didn't have a love for God's word, His law, and Christ, uh, and everything else the apostles and Jesus teach. I wouldn't do anything because if I didn't have that to begin with, it wouldn't be happening. <laughs> uh, so that right there is a, a sure profession of my faith. You can look at my life and see me before like you. I could see, If I could see your life before and after, I would see a big difference, wouldn't I? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. You're smoking pot while you're reading the verse that you actually get saved with. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that is pretty astonishing you know yeah. but uh the lord can save you no matter what you're doing no wherever you what. are right that really, that really that really shows that you're saved uh not by works but by faith amen 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 doubly so in your case you got a good testimony brother on that one uh okay so the final one here on as people are seeing on the on the screen keep one's rewards first corinthians three fourteen. Now, we're all going to stand before the judgment of the seat of Christ, not to go to hell or anything like that. The Seventh-day Adventists say you got to stand. If you're a good Seventh-day Adventist and you only go to church on Saturday, on the Sabbath day, as they call it, uh, you do Sabbath keeping and you try to do all these other rules and regulations that uh, G. White said to do, well, you're still not safe yet because then you got this uh, judgment seat of Christ, this, this Daniel twist that scripture to say there's going to be uh, where you got to stand before Christ, and even though you've done all this, you still not might, might not make it in, yeah. uh, and you'll be judged. Yeah. So you don't really have any assurance of salvation there either. Right. Uh, uh, but uh, here at Christ's uh, bema seat, uh, there's going to be some rewards given. 
And some are going to get more and some are going to get less. But you have to do something to get those rewards, right? I mean, the, 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 some are going to get wood, hay, and stubble. they got a lot of works that are wood, hay, and stubble. Those are going to burn up. But the stuff that God appreciated, you're still saved. You're not going to hell. But this is how works play into it. Some have, what did, what did Jesus say in that uh, parable of the sower? He uh, brought up the fact that uh, some some are 30, some are 60, and some are 100, or something like that. And, and uh, so he gives percentages of what's going to go on there. But some just do a... See, there's no way I'm ever going to be standing in to get the kind of rewards I think, let's say, C.A. Spurgeon is going to get. He not only got an earlier start than me, he's starting these schools for children. He starts a seminary. He starts, he's doing all this stuff all throughout his life. And even though I've lived longer already on this planet than he has, no matter what I've done on all this television stuff, it's still not going to be anywhere near what he's done in his life. And plus, his sermons are still circulating through the Internet and everything. All, he still has an impact to this day, 100 years later after his death, 100 and, uh, almost 30 years now after his death. So his rewards are great, I think, just my opinion. And I, I'm not even in the picture as far as rewards. But that shows that this, there's works do have their place in the Christian life. And that's what I'm emphasizing. Is there anything you want to add to that? Uh, no, I think uh, it's actually absolutely right that uh, you know, faith is the root and works are the fruit. It, it flows from salvation and it's the work of God in the life of his people. I like what St. Augustine said, that the, the, the crowns that we receive is God uh, crowning his own works. Yes. Now there's one last final thing I want to bring up, but this is just more of a theological thing. Yeah. Uh, and I'll just use your expertise if I can find my notes on it here somewhere. Uh, I think I think this is it. Yeah, here we go. All right. I would like your quick exposition because, you know, there's going to be all these Roman Catholics and uh, Seventh-day Adventists and uh, other works-oriented groups that are going to shove... James 2.24 down our throat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I would like you to uh, just do a quick exposition on that uh, and tell us why uh, you're, not, you're not justified by your works because they use James yeah. 2.24 right. to uh, uh, say you're, you've got to do these works to get saved. To get saved. Yeah, See, we're right. coming from a perspective that we're already saved. Yeah. And uh, I'd like you to, to address that if you could. Uh, yeah, so like just you... uh, verse 24. Yeah. Yeah, I think Act, that... Uh, James uh, 2.24. Yeah. There, um, in the Greek New Testament, the the opening word is horate. And mm -hmm. horate means you you see. Uh, mm -hmm. You see with your eyes. That's the most you know, I knew you were. I knew you were going to the Greek because whenever I see you go to your computer, but I was hoping yeah, exactly right. that. I didn't know you were yeah. going to do it, but I, when you looked down, I was, oh, he's going to the Greek. That's great. Sure. Okay, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> so so that, that verb, it's fronted to the very beginning of the sentence, uh, giving it prominence and emphasis, uh, and it shouldn't be over overlooked. So the people who are trying to use this to say that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, they're completely mm -hmm. ignoring that verb 
horata, which means uh -huh. to see with your eyes. And yes. James is saying that you see, you see that a man is justified. And how do you see that they're justified? Because justification is invisible, right? It's God's yeah. declaration from heaven. How do you right, see right. it? You see it by their uh, works and not by faith alone, yes. because faith alone is yes. invisible, but their works are visible. And so it's about yes. seeing uh, who has been justified. And that's exactly. that, you know, conforms perfectly to uh, Paul's uh, uh, language of being justified by faith uh, and not by works of the law in Romans. So they're the, the legalists who want to use this to say that we're justified by works uh, still have to deal with Paul and why, mm -hmm. why mm -hmm. you know, James is saying something different than Paul when he's not. He's saying exactly, uh, exactly what Paul's saying. That's that's the whole point of the matter. Otherwise, there would have been discord. But we know James got along with Paul, and he that's was around right. Peter and all the rest of them. So uh, they right. they fully accepted him with the the full hand of fellowship there. And so yeah. uh, anyway, because I've always said to those guys, I've just said, look, if this was saying what you're saying, then there would have been a fight between these apostles, just that's like right. Paul and Peter had a, a you know. A, a disagreement yeah. over the Judaizers there. That's right. So, that's right. And this would no have way. been no. This would have been no minor disagreement. This goes exactly. to the very heart of the gospel. Amen to that. So you're right. Okay. Well, with that said, brother, I would like you to uh, make your concluding comment to say anything you want. To I will, but there's one more on your on your list. Uh, number nine. Did I miss one? Number nine. I thought I did. Now I've left it back here somewhere. <laughs> I thought I did them all. Oh, number it's a nine. Good one. Oh, yeah, you're right. I did leave it off. Way to yeah. watch, brother. Okay, number nine, heavy influence into the personal lives of disciples. Okay, yes. go ahead. And this is just one of the things about this cult that makes it so insidious is that they are very controlling, very manipulative, uh, and really browbeat uh, their people by making them feel as if they can't be saved. They can't be in the church unless they're fully submitted to these other human beings who are put over them to monitor every little detail of their life. And so I know that Naveen will go into greater detail, but yes. he will tell you, you cannot, as a member of the International Church of Christ, you cannot go out on a date with another member of the International Church of Christ until you get permission from those above you, You're, those who are discipling you have to give you permission uh, to, mm -hmm. to do that. And so there's a lot of just control on every little detail and aspect of your life. Of course, like many, many cults, uh, part of that control is getting uh, the person who they've sucked in to distance themselves or even cut themselves off from their family members. Uh, yeah. from any who will uh, be a good influence uh, on them away from the cult. Right. Very good. So that would include uh, you're, you're going along with your cell phone and they might call you or text you and tell you something you have to do or be careful about or yeah, uh, call right. you at home or come visit you. And they just yeah. really get into your life. They and, do. Uh, they really get so, into your life. So Naveen is an expert on that. I'm, you know, since he was in there a lot longer than you, but uh, absolutely good point. I'm glad you remembered. I didn't do, <laughs> I thought I was done. Uh, so anyway, good way to watch that. And now we can get to the point where you're going to make your final comment uh, yeah. on this whole subject and we'll, we'll sign off from there. Yeah. So. Thank you for having me. I would like to conclude just by speaking to anyone out there 
who may be a part of the International Church of Christ, uh, who's been drawn in, as I was for a short period of time, as Naveen was for a longer period of time, I would, I just want to speak to you from the heart and let you know that uh, you're in bondage and you I, I'm sure that you feel uh, controlled and manipulated. That can't be uh, prolonged for indefinitely. You're going to get out of this cult eventually. People don't stay in it because it's too damaging. And when they do come out, they're very embittered against what they have experienced and often blame religion for it. And so they mm -hmm. turn away from all religion and say that they're not going to have anything to do with the church because the church harmed them. They were spiritually abused and you were spiritually abused. But I just want to point you to the freedom that there is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, that uh, you don't have to uh, perform. You don't have to uh, give your life over to human beings to monitor all that you do. You just give your life over to Jesus. And he says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. You've had heavy laden burdens put upon you. Jesus's yoke is easy and it is light. And all you do is trust in him and he loves you and will take you and redeem you uh, if you just put your faith in him apart from works of the law. And so I would just encourage you, rather than reject all religion when that time comes, uh, to, to flee to Jesus Christ and find mercy and grace and true life in him. Amen. Amen, brother. I'm sure glad I asked you to make some final comments. <laughs> that was that was good for this video because I have a feeling we're going to have a lot of International Church of Christ people checking out this video yes. just out of curiosity because they're right. either in it and yeah. they're, they'll look it up and then maybe former members also. So yes. uh, thank you for that. All right, brother. Well, thank you for being here with me. I appreciate that. Could you give us your... Uh, your website one more time in case anyone wants to contact the, the church where you that you pastor. Absolutely. You can find us at dsf.org. That stands for Dayspring Fellowship, dsf.org. You'll find uh, a whole history of our church, what we believe, uh, lots of charts and helpful uh, information there, as well as you know who the elders are, a little bit about us, and uh, many resources that we have posted online over the years and links to all of our uh, sermons and Sunday school lessons. Uh, it'll take you to sermonaudio.com. Now, on any given Sunday, somebody that just goes to Sermon Audio could get a live broadcast of the weekly church service, right? Absolutely. So if they wanted to see you in the morning, uh, Central Time on Sunday mornings, 11 Central, if you go to dsf.org, there'll be a little uh, lit up uh, red uh, uh, stream button, and you click that. And it'll take you right to the live stream of our corporate gathering and worship service. Outstanding. So they can, even if they can't be there in person, they could, wherever they are, be watching the church service, the entire Absolutely. service from beginning Absolutely. to end. Absolutely. Of course, I would, I would encourage anyone who does not have a, a local church to find one and to uh, commit yourself uh, to them. And there's... Great resources out there for finding good, healthy churches. You can reach out to Larry. You can reach out to me. But I'd also point you to uh, Founders Ministry on their website. They have a list of healthy churches. Uh, Nine Marks Ministry has a very similar list of healthy churches. Mm -hmm. And you can you can find 
a good, healthy church in almost uh, any place in America. And I'm glad you said that because a lot of churches, they're not healthy. That's right. <laughs> even if That's they've right. got, even they got the word Baptist on there or yeah. Methodist or Presbyterian, there's a lot of minefields out there. So you got to be are. real careful. Absolutely. Liberal theology, uh, wokeism, uh, Marxist yeah. theology. I mean, it's dangerous in the it church is. world. So it I'm is. glad you gave that. All right, brother. Well, thanks for being with us. I'm going to sign off now. Thanks for being with me. God bless you. And God I'm going to talk to the people now. God bless. The Major Errors of Campbellism on Salvation by Bob L. Ross. This article will present three of the major flaws in Campbellite teachings on salvation set forth by modern-day Church of Christ writers, illustrating unscriptural positions which they hold. The letters SS will be used to abbreviate reference to the Spiritual Sword magazine from which many of the quotations will be taken. CC refers to Church of Christ. Number one, Campbellites of the spiritual sword cult teach that members of the CC are the only people who are saved. The Bible teaches that there are no Christians who are not members of the Church of Christ. Thomas Warren, SS, 485, page 6. The Bible teaches that everyone who enters a denomination sins in so doing, and that those who remain in a denomination until death will be lost. Warren, SS 485, page 10. There are sincere, knowledgeable, devout Christians scattered among all the various denominations. I kindly but confidently deny his affirmation. Garland Elkins, SS 1085, page 28. There are no Christians who are not members of the Church of Christ. Warren, SS 1083, page 1. Parents must teach their children that the only Christians are found in the Church of Christ. Bill Jackson, SS 1084. The Bible teaches that the saved are those who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. John 3, 16 to 18 and 36, chapter 5, verse 24, chapter 6, verse 47, Acts 16, 31, etc. Ideally, members of the church should be saved. Yet there is the possibility that some become members of the church without having been saved. Church membership adds nothing to salvation, as the work of salvation is by Christ, not by the good works of the sinner. Campbellites deny the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. Thus we see that the eunuch did not need an angel or the Holy Spirit for salvation but he did need Philip's message for salvation. J.H. Parker, SS 476, page 10. We can further note that the very efforts of the angel and the Holy Spirit in bringing Philip to the eunuch show that such divine agents 
are to have no direct role in the salvation of a man, rather that a man is to be converted by his hearing another preach the gospel to him. J.H. Parker opts it. The Bible teaches that a man is born of, Greek ek, out of, born of God. In every instance where the source of the new birth is mentioned, the language is ek him, ek the spirit, ek God. It is therefore essential that the Holy Spirit work in conjunction with the gospel or the word. As additional to the preaching, Campbellites deny such a work of the Holy Spirit, holding that there is nothing more than the word in bringing about the new birth. In effect, they deny the very essence of regeneration, which is to be born from above, John 3.3. 3. This error leads to their denial of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. As taught by evangelical Christianity and the denial of the security of the believer, they postulate everything upon man's obedience to the letter of the word, denying an accompanying work of the Holy Spirit. They represent evangelical Christianity as teaching the work of the Spirit separate from and apart from the Word, when in reality we teach the position as set forth by Paul. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 Lydia, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Acts 16.14 If there is no additional work or influence of the Holy Spirit, then this last verse, which says the Lord opened her heart, is superfluous. Obviously, while the word is the means of communicating that which is to be believed, the additional unseen work of the Holy Spirit is necessary for being born from above. Paul referred to his preaching as being in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, 1 Corinthians 2.4. Is this not why, as so many have observed, Campbellite preaching is so dead so staccato, and relies so heavily upon human logic and legalism. The only explanation of this barren spirituality is the absence of the Holy Spirit. This likewise explains their lack of proper understanding of the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 Anytime anyone in the Campbellite movement somehow comes to accept the Bible teaching on the Holy Spirit's work, the person immediately comes under suspicion of heresy. This was one of the primary issues which was discussed at the special meeting which was held in Memphis in 1973, one of the peak events which marked a split in the ranks of those associated with the support of the Herald of Truth radio program out of the Highland Church of Christ, Abilene, Texas. 
Campbellites deny that anyone is truly saved in this life. Walter Scott, 1796 to 1861, who claimed to have restored the ancient gospel, taught that one is not born of the Spirit until the resurrection of the body. The Gospel Restored, page 558. No Christian is yet born of the Spirit. This event is the resurrection, still in the future. Mr. M. H. Tucker says that we have eternal life in prospect. Eternal life follows the judgment. It is received in the world to come. S.S. 477, page 19. Tom Warren says, No one goes into eternal life as a present possession when he is baptized, but he only comes into hope of eternal life at the time he is baptized. If he lives the faithful Christian life, 1 John 1, 7, he will receive the eternal life which the Lord has promised. 1 John 2, 25, SS 4, 77, pages 30 and 31. The prayer of Garland Elkins indicates that they do not believe they are really saved. Forgive us our sins and save us in heaven. Memphis Meeting 2, page 27. Consequently, when they speak of being saved during this life, they simply mean you have been saved from past and alien sins. They do not mean that you are saved forever, have eternal life, and shall not come into condemnation. You could sin so as to lose salvation. Bill Jackson says there are many elements making up a faithful Christian life, and man is saved by all of these. Christian Worker 788, page 2. Since they deny the work of the Holy Spirit in the new birth and deny the indwelling of the Holy Spirit except by the word and teach that good works are a part of salvation, it is only natural that they do not believe they are actually saved in this life. To them, salvation is the reward that comes at the end of this life. If you have obeyed their five-step plan, been a member of their church, worshipped according to their five acts of worship teaching, obeyed the elders who rule the church, and do all that is right to the best of your ability. If your works favorably correspond to the truth, then you shall be saved. SS 477, pages 8 and 9, and SS 176, pages 26, Galatians 2, 16 and 21. All right, uh, thank you folks out there for joining us. I'm Larry Wessels, the host of Christian Answers, and I want to thank you for being with us today. Join us again next time when we do another topic on some other subject. We never know ourselves until we actually put it up on YouTube. <laughs> but we'll, we try to cover almost any theological doctrine or topic. And uh, so if you want to get, get on that train, uh, feel free to subscribe to our channel and hit the little uh, bell button above on your YouTube page where you're watching this video and uh, you'll get automatic updates whenever we put a new video up. I usually get around to doing maybe one every two weeks 
or three weeks, something like that, a new video. And so if you want to uh, get those and be alerted about it and want to check that out, make sure you, after you subscribe, make sure you hit the bell above and then you'll get those alerts so you know when we put up another video. Well, with that said, I will to finish with the words of Jesus Christ, John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. It's through Jesus. And as the pastor was mentioning a while ago, uh, you want to come to Jesus and his gospel. You want to rest in that, in him and the word of God. And that will lead you to the truth uh, and not cults. <laughs> if you stick to this word and don't accept the twisted words that they give you, uh, you'll, you'll be fine. But uh, be safe in Jesus because he is the only way you're going to make it. With that said, join us again next time. God bless you all. Bye-bye. If you like our YouTube channel, please subscribe by clicking on the subscribe button and then by also clicking the bell above to get an automatic update whenever we produce another YouTube video for our See Answers TV channel. Please share our videos with your friends and relatives. May God bless you. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. See related videos by tapping or clicking screens.